How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. This hour is brought to you by Vasectomy Clinics of Chicago. The Bernstein and Holmes Show. Bears fandom is tearing itself apart right now. You are tearing me apart, Lisa! The center can't hold. This whole thing is going to go spinning apart at some point. Bears Twitter is going to burn to the ground when they hear a rumor that Caleb's brother's cousin's dad said that Chicago hot dogs suck. That'll be the final thing that just brings it all down. See, Dan? The stupid will still be here when you get back. Or maybe it'll all have burnt to the ground and we can finally all be at peace. We've got a responsibility to not amplify stupid. We really do. Okay. Studs, we trust you to monitor like the crazy people. And the rest of us will do our best to not make people dumb. I can tell you right now, it's hanging on by a thread out there. That's right! We can't have anyone freak out out there, okay? Keep our composure. These are rough times for the Empire. These are dark days. I'm sorry, I'm listening too. I just, I'm in the middle of getting my swole on. So I am an absolute unit. I'm just letting you guys know I'm a complete and total freak show. Because here at Globo Gym, we're better than you. And we know it. Bernstein and Holmes, Middays 10 a.m. till 2 on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. He was a riot, Mark Schlereth. The more that I thought about that interview, the more I thought how awesome it was. Yeah, he's, he's a riot. And he's in the middle of getting my swole on, so I am an absolute unit. I'm, I'm going to talk with Adam Amin later on today because he's, he's going to hang out on Football Night in Chicago and I'm hosting. We've got to get Schlereth in here. Like, we just got to hang out with Schlereth. Like, that's... That's now on my list of things to accomplish in 2024. He's grown on me a lot, Schlereth has. I, 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 tried to I tell was you. never that big a fan, but I think Adam Amin has brought out a, a lot of he, – he's made him sound like less garden-variety football-y. Yeah. And I, I think it's brought out – it's made him more fun and smarter, and it, it, it's the broadcast has worked a lot. And he's just – he's a good dude. Seems that way, and he likes to have fun, and there's nothing wrong with a little bit of fun. No, or a lot of fun. It's just sports. It's just sports. It doesn't matter that much. We're broadcasting live from the Hyundai Studios, brought to you by your local Hyundai dealers, and we're busy today with football talk and Mike Florio and Anthony Heron and High Noon and Dan Wiederer and NBA stuff with Jamal Collier. That's Ray Diaz. That's Adam Studzinski, Brandon Fryer, Connor O'Donnell doing their stuff. So I know you had a wild you, – you were curling this weekend, yeah, I know. Yeah, I, I went yeah. curling – well, the weekend started 
started shortly after the show on Friday. You know, I go home and I'm like, all right, I built the week so that I usually will work out now after the show. So I built the week that Friday was going to be my afternoon off. That I was just going to go home, maybe take a nap if I wanted to, hang out and see what happens. And then I get the Marshall Harris is like, hey, are you are you coming out? And Layla's like, hey, are you coming out? And I was like, what are you guys talking about? So we all met up. It was a nice little impromptu NABJ event at series. Careful at series. Fam. <laughs> Careful. That, Fam. That's what they call back in the day an honest drink. That, that is exactly right. Got, we got ourselves some honest drinks. And, you know, it's, we've kind of invited Layla into the NABJ family, the National Association of Black Journalists. We kind of invited her into the family. Does she get to bring the potato salad? No, but but if she she gets to hang the mac out, mac and cheese. But but then you know, Tanny and Shane showed up, Uh-oh. and people were like, "Hey, what's with the whites?" Well, Tanny Tanny can he's he's good. Shane not so much. Shane Shane fit in very well. We had a great time, and then Saturday. The socks machine guys, Sox machine guys invited me to go curling. Curling machine. Curling Sack machine. machine. <laughs> I'm now a curling machine. Curling. Double, double machine. Margulis does this like for real, for real. Yeah, he's an actual curler. Like he right? does, he's got like a curling club in Nashville and like all this other stuff. So they invited me out to Villa Park and uh, Chicago Curling, I think. Windy City Curling is the place. But they gave us a... Uh, a a gift card. So if, so if one of our listeners wants to, we'll figure out how to do it. But if someone wants to go curling, like they hooked us up. Well, you know that Russ Armstrong from Chicago Window Guys is going to be like, yes, I'll do it. His, Russ's stuff is all over Windy City Curling. I'm sure. So it, it was great. And so I learned how to do it. And we spent a couple hours doing it. I was like, all right, this is this is pretty cool. I got to, it was a good time. I finished my weekend in trouble with Big Owl. Yeah, you I, said this, and I'm like, what okay. is what is happening? First of all, Sunday was so gorgeous. It, it really was, was. It was so beautiful. And Beth went off to Soul Cycle or wherever, and I'm like, I'm going to go to the Montrose uh, Bird Sanctuary, and I'm going to walk around. I'm going to do my walk. Walk for an hour and a half, and I, I walk all the way out to the end of the pier, and I see if the weird ducks are still here. And you look back in the sunshine and the, and the view of the city around the other side, and I come back through, and I'll be damned if I in the bird sanctuary I didn't see a pair of rarely seen long-eared owls. Cool. It was super cool, right there. And I tried to get a picture, and I posted a picture, and then everybody got mad. And he was like, "You know, if you really cared about owls, you wouldn't tell people that you saw one, because now people are going to abuse them and mistreat them, and now the people like how what." what? I didn't know. Like, what am I? What do you mean? Everybody got mad at me. Like, you know, you're not supposed to say that you saw an owl. You're not. I did, I Secret was, owl society. Right, I was just trying to share my owl my, my joy in seeing them because Sack they're machine. they're awesome animals. Weren't they're, you at a an actual a, bird sanctuary? It's, it's literally a bird sanctuary where you're go, you go there to see birds and and. Like one time I saw a, a magnolia warbler. I didn't even know what it was, but everybody was all excited. It was a rare sighting of a magnolia warbler. Great. And I've stood there and I've had black capped chickadees eat out of my hand. I love it there. there there's Cooper's hawks, there's red tail hawks and all that. But, but I'm like, 
oh my god, I'm I'm probably never gonna see a long-eared owl in the wild again, as long as I live. Yeah. So I got excited. And you were at a bird sanctuary. And everyone's mad at me. It's like sanctuary. I, I, I'm, I'm I'm the a hole. The first rule of Owl Club is don't talk about Owl Club. I guess. Like, what do you? I, 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 are there enemies of owls that they're going to go track them down? Owl man. Is, is, Aren't owls like one of the top predators? Like, they're yes. kind of at the top of their food chain, right? Yes. yes. Yeah, Nothing they, really preys on them. No, but I. Okay. Except people I, with uh, their dumb eyes. Uh, apparently, people do. Apparently, I'm, I'm, I'm somehow endangering them because I was trying to share my love for them and my joy in seeing them in the wild and, and how cool and special it was. How dare you? Studs, you know not to do that. Studs, are you an owl man guy? Uh, eh, not really. I'm not that oh, familiar. This, this is the a only real thi- thing? The only, well, yeah. Well, it's well, he's, an alternate universe Batman. What? Okay. Yeah. And he was in uh, the, the Watchmen, right? No, no, not that, not that version. Oh, yes, that right. that that's a different. But there's there's a there's an Owl Man that's an alternate version of Batman. No, I'm not that familiar with that one. Four one four says now the Warbler people are going to come at you too, Bernstein. Yeah. The three three one says you had a superb Owl Sunday. I did. I indeed did. It was it uh, it was a Sunday, and it was a superb Owl Sunday. So there, I'll have that for the rest of my life. You want to go all the way down the rabbit hole? Not really, but you're, we're told we have no choice. We c- kind of have to. Ugh. All right, so let's go back to last week. On last week's Bernstein and Home show, we were discussing on Friday the stuff that Colin Cowherd had said about Caleb Williams, and then Colin Cowherd was on the afternoon show with Parkins and Spiegel, and he's like, look, man, look, I'm telling you that there, there's something to this, but but maybe not as loudly as I, sh- I said it on the air. Then Cliff Kingsbury is supposed to be the new offensive coordinator for the Raiders. And then all of a sudden, he's not going to be the coordinator for the Raiders. And not only is he not going to be the coordinator for the Raiders, he ends up taking the Washington job. And where did hmm. Caleb Williams grow up and play high school football at? In D.C. And who was one of his offensive coaches when he was at USC? Cliff Kingsbury. What does he know that we don't? Probably nothing. Right? It's probably nothing. It's probably it's nothing. Pro- the, the highest likelihood is coincidence. I don't there know. isn't some this nefarious feel plot. Like, this doesn't feel like coincidence, I got to tell you. Because as soon as we, did, like we were talking about it in the group chat, and as soon as we saw that he wasn't going to be the, the OC in in Vegas, I was like, you know where he's going to be the OC, right? And then five minutes later, oh, he's going to be in Washington. Here's my question for you, Dan. Yes. If you're Ryan Poles, and throughout this scouting situation, you have your interviews with Caleb Williams, you, you sit down and you talk with him, and you say, hey, you know what, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff out here about you and us and whether we be a fit or whether you want to play here. If he gets the answer from Caleb Williams that he would prefer not to play for the Bears, what should Ryan Poles do? Well, he could allow himself to be forced into trading it, or he could stare him down across the table. Say, so are you willing to sit out? 
If we like draft how, you, you're gonna, you might have to play chicken with them. But at at a, at a now, big chicken's gonna come after us. Frank Purdue. <laughs> <laughs> now, now we're in trouble. Don't talk about chickens. Now you're gonna tell people who hate chickens where the chickens are. At a at a macro level, if someone doesn't want to join you, should you as a team make them join you? We're not there yet. Yes, we are. Oh, we are here, no, Dan. Dan, we here, baby. <laughs> we here. This is where we're at. This is not where any of us want to be, Did but you this have, is where we are. Did you ever see the movie Walk the Line, the Johnny yes. Cash story? Do you yes. remember when he's he like he drives his car into the ravine and she says something like, Are we going down there? They're like, honey, you're already down there. Yeah. This is this is it. This is this is now what's going on. We have to unfortunately we we have to descend down the rabbit hole. I'm not. I'm not saying that we don't have gear that'll help us climb up, but we have to do the spelunking down the rabbit hole here with all of this stuff because it's ridiculous. I can't. I can't believe we're at this point. And then, and then we got Luke Getzey like, hey, by the way, what me? Hey, guess, guess who Shaggy sucks. Getzey over here? <laughs> what me? <laughs> What me? <laughs> hey, Luke, what, what was the problem in Chicago? What <laughs> me? Whatever it was, it wasn't me. <laughs> Talk to that quarterback there who threw everything late and couldn't read a defense. Oh, really? Tell us more. All right, we'll hire you. Thanks. Well, I just would like to go back to what we talked about with Danny and Speaks, where what if at the end of this, like, if, let me make this this argument. Wait, hold on. You let, want me to save it? Say, let's, right. let's come back and, and let the, give this room. Okay. I got. <laughs> you got to go on vacation, Dan. <laughs> I'm not going on vacation. I just, I can't you wait. You got to go until it's just figured out. Oh. All right. So we'll talk about it more. There's something I want to, I want to address and put in front of you as now the worst case scenario for the Bears. That's next. He's Bernstein. I'm Holmes. You're listening to the Bernstein and Holmes Show here on The Score. Bernstein and Holmes, your midday destination for Chicago sports talk on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. What we're trying to figure out is if we're going to be faced with a situation that was Elway or Eli. No, 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 no. So I was told, I was told last night, Caleb does not want to be a villain. He, He doesn't want to be a villain. Well, we can never get a straight answer on this. That that still doesn't mean anything. Of course, he doesn't want to be a villain. Almost no one wants to be a villain. So there are some who do, but they think they're the hero, though they don't realize they're the villain. That's the tr- the true villains believe they're the hero. That's right. So I, I can't. That's right, Batman. I can't debate. You think you're in charge here? I, I can't debate what he thinks he wants to be, but at some point, if Ryan Paul's just like, look, I, whatever, we have the pick, we're taking you, and then if you play that out, Washington would have to, if they want a quarterback, they're going to take a quarterback. There's plenty to take. There's a good group of quarterbacks to take. So once they do that, then what? And that's it. That's it. Like, what's the recourse? The only the only recourse is to then be uh, 
unhappy baby while you're here. Or not not report. Right. I mean, I guess theoretically you could – I have to check the rules on this. I, Ray, find me the date on when you have to withdraw from the NFL draft because Caleb doesn't have an agent as of yet. I don't even know if that matters anymore. Exactly, because his father is the one that's kind of out here, you know, greasing the wheels and talking with folks about things and stuff. So I just want to find okay. out, like, I, I can't remember what the rule is on withdrawing from the draft. So you're setting up, what, what did you tease us as the worst case scenario? Well, the worst case scenario is that you trade Justin and then have to trade the pick. Ideally, though, you're you're not trading Justin until you you have done all of your due diligence on Caleb Williams. Because if at the end of this, and you know that I'm a Jaden Daniels fan, I'm I'm a fan. But at, at the end of this, if the Bears end up with Drake May, you talk about really starting over, like completely starting over. It's one thing for people to be like, oh, okay. It's either Caleb Williams and him being the super exciting player that, that can do all this stuff, or it's Justin Fields and a whole bunch of picks, and you're building similarly to what San Francisco is. If at the end of this, it's Drake May, I think Bears fans are just going to be like, really? Your question, Lawrence, the withdrawal date, we've passed it already. Oh, then he's February, in. February 2nd. Then he has he's- no more recourse. Except not reporting. Correct. Just saying you can draft me, but I'm not going to play for you. I guess he could go play in Canada for a year. Or he could be part of the UFL. He's not going to do that. No? He's not going to do that. He could just sit on his money, though, because he made a lot of money. Yeah, but then you're you're still waiting to start that contract I, clock to get to the big money. Dan, I'm with you, but I'm we're we're in this rabbit hole now. We got to figure it out. So he can't go back to college. He's de- he's a declared pro. What type of leverage does he have? And will he use it against Ryan Poles so he can play for his hometown team? I don't mind him applying leverage, and I'm not painting him as a villain for doing so. No, I think that's got to be, be. That, that should be under. It, it seems like, or at least the way that, that Coward was hearing it, was that any application of agency or leverage from his side would be viewed as villainous. And I don't think so at all. I just, I want to be very clear about that. I, I'm not against him doing that. I think as, as somebody who cares about the fortunes of the bears, it would, I, I think it would be too bad if he didn't want to play for the bears and, and exercised ever, anything he could do to avoid being on the bears. I just, I don't think when push comes to shove, He's going to go to the mattresses, and all of his people are going to align every last bit of leverage he has to avoid coming to the Bears. I just, I, I that doesn't seem reasonable to me. It, it does not. But that might be. I, I don't know if he's reasonable or not. We don't know. You might want what you want, or don't want what you don't want, and you're just going to decide that you're going to do whatever it takes. The most likely scenario is that the Bears draft Caleb Williams and everything is fine. That we look back on this show and we have a hearty laugh. Ha 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 ha
or we laugh like the 7-Up guy. Ho, ho, ho. Crisp and clean and no caffeine. Yep. Jeffrey Holder is his name. Jeffrey, like, we'll laugh like him when this is all said and done. <laughs> it's just, I will say that it, the, the thing that played out on Saturday was bizarre. It's like, oh, and then you have Caleb saying, oh, my dog got the job in D.C. with Cliff Kingsbury. And it's like, huh, interesting. Hey, well, can you believe that 7-Up actually advertised as a, it was a good thing that didn't have caffeine? Yeah, I need it. I need that caffeine. Right now, it's just like everything's got to have caffeine or it's not good. And back or then or it was, I'd, I'd rather just kind of drink water if it doesn't have the. Right. If You know what I mean? Instead of just doing like the sugar. You know I don't do soft drinks in that regard. Right. But it's just that was like, this, that was the selling point. The un-cola. No caffeine. That's right, Texter. Never had it. Never, never will. will. <laughs> never will. Every now and again, you need a little a little kickstart, you know? And you look and you go, oh, well, do I really want to drink that? I actually had that moment last night where I was like, okay, do I? I'd made some shrimp tacos, a little rice, and I'm sitting there going, do I want to do like a Coke or... Or I could do a beer. And I chose the beer. It depends how spicy. How spicy the tacos are? Yeah. No, they weren't that spicy. Because generally, I would with, with really spicy food, I prefer a cold beer. I just had a, a, a can of Modelo, and I was like, Perfect. Really? I'm going to drink this instead. But then the choice was like, I'm going to have this or water instead of drinking the Coke because of the caffeine. It's like, I'm going to have this beer. And it was delicious. Email here from Spencer, who says, I listened to the entire discussion between the afternoon guys and Colin Coward, and I came away with the opinion that Colin has an emotional attachment to Caleb, and he, Coward, doesn't think Chicago's a good fit for him. This is by no means a condemnation of Coward's professionalism. In your industry, I imagine you develop relationships with people you cover closely. So it's only natural that he'd want Caleb to land in the best situation for him. And he's not entirely off base with some of the concerns about Chicago. It could very well be a lame duck coaching situation. And Chicago did do just and dirty. It's only natural that Caleb would have questions about these things. And it's on the Bears now to answer them satisfactorily. A hundred percent. That is a totally level headed way of looking at this. And I, 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 I agree. I do think that there is some editorializing and some conduit reporting going on here. I I also think that it's important when looking at the factor of, well, Caleb grew up in D.C. It's not always great to go home. There's added pressure when you're the, the, the homecoming king that you don't have to worry about in other places. Like playing in Chicago. Now, there's clearly going to be pressure on him here for a lot of other reasons. Like right away to be good because you're in the window. Right. But there, but it's not the same as you're here to resurrect the franchise that you grew up rooting for. And you're here because you, you grew up down the street. There's a lot of pressure in that. And not everyone wants it. And it's understandable if they don't want that. Caleb to the Bears.
That's Lawrence Holmes. I'm Dan Bernstein. We are on Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Usually Mike Florio joins us on Wednesdays when Layla Rahimi is here. But the Super Bowl week changes everything. Roger Goodell is going to be talking to select media today. wonder if Florio got the invite. wonder if he's among them. We'll talk to him about all this stuff next on The Score. You're listening to Bernstein and Holmes. Middays 10 to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score. Ladies and gentlemen, joining us now is a man who's got a massive brain. Mike Florio. He used to be a lawyer, then he decided to take his talents to the internet. NBC Sports. I'm sorry I'm late, I was talking to Robert Kraft. Pro Football Talk. I wouldn't listen to some of those people out there, especially guys like Mike Florio. Mike Florio with Bernstein and Holmes on the score. Let's find out from Mike Florio if he received the golden ticket, an invite to actually dare ask a question of dear leader Roger Goodell at his annual press conference. Florio's with us on the Circus Sports Illinois hotline. All right, Mike, are you going to be there? Are you going to be allowed to, to question leadership, to tell truth to power? Well, since I'm standing here on the 60th floor of the Mandalay Bay Hotel in Las Vegas, let's set it up as odds. What do you think the odds are that I got an invitation? And I'll just take it a step farther. The no would be minus 10,000. The yes would be plus a million. So there's your answer. There it is. (laughs) So I'm not going to ask about Jim Trotter then, I think. So yeah. so why do you think that the, that Roger Goodell did this, Mike? I think it's a combination of factors. Peter King made a great point when we talked on Friday. By dropping it at 6 p.m. Eastern time on Monday, it goes right into the start of the opening night where it's going to be Travis Kelsey this and Taylor Swift that and Patrick Mahomes this and, Jip and Brock Purdy that and – and anything the commissioner says is going to be forgotten. When they used to do it on Friday, it would drive the news the day after, which is probably what they wanted. I think right now their attitude is there's so much bad news. Why do we even want any of this? Why do we want to have the commissioner creating news where he has to tiptoe through the minefield of how they used to hate gambling and now they love it? And they know the question I would ask because I posed it to Jeff Miller last week, who's in charge of NFL PR. I read back to him words from Roger Goodell in 2012 where he says basically if gambling becomes legalized, normal incidents of the game like fumbles and bad calls and penalties will fuel speculation, distrust, and allegations of game fixing. And I wanted to know, one, have they seen it? And two, what are they doing to counter it? Because I deal with it all the time. I get flooded with emails and remarks on social media from people who are convinced the games are fixed now, and it's all, I think, a byproduct of the thing the NFL feared, gambling. Mike, what do you make of all of the noise surrounding Caleb Williams? Well, it's all noise until the coaches involved in the process for any of the teams that might be interested have a full and fair opportunity to figure out who he is, what he's about, sit down, talk to him, get to know him. You're putting a lot into him as the first overall pick in the draft. And I think for anybody who would possibly trade up with the Bears, to take Caleb Williams. That, as I've said before, adds extra, extra pressure to the player over and above just being the natural first overall pick when someone else has made an additional investment to make you their quarterback. 
that becomes, I think, something you need to be sure the kid can handle. And there were some signs last year of immaturity, not meeting with the media after the loss to end the regular season. So I think it just still needs to be determined who he is, what he's made of, what is what it's all about for him. And, uh, you know, groups within various organizations are going to have to come to a conclusion as to what they want to do. And they've got time to do it, but the clock is ticking and the information gathering process really begins in earnest in just three weeks. We'll be in Indy in three weeks for the scouting combine. And we're reading everything into everything because we don't seem to have a choice right now. And now Lincoln Riley on Good Morning Football says that uh, a reunion for Caleb Williams with Cliff Kingsbury would be great. And he said they have a great relationship. And we have to wonder, well, now is Lincoln Riley putting it in the bloodstream, something that he thinks is going to help his guy get to? It's, it's, I'm having a difficult time trying to deal with this chasing all of these various threads because we got like six weeks or whatever it's going to be before something's got to give here. Well, and the one factor that someone told me about a couple of years ago when the NIL dynamic first exploded for college football, there will be a time when a player says, do not draft me. I will sit out the whole year. I can afford it. And that's a wrinkle that, you haven't seen in the past in the rare occasions when somebody decides to say, do not draft me. And when you've got Washington picking second and the bears picking first, what if Caleb Williams says to the bears, do not draft me, do not draft me. I will not play for you. I will sit out the whole year and reenter the draft. And if you want to find out, try me, what will the bears do if that happens? So, but when would he do that? When would he say, what would be the, this sounds so bizarre to even think of it, but what would be the optimal or, or ethical, business practice because if this is going to happen more in the age of nil and we're there, there's going to have to be a time where you inform with the teams that you w- wouldn't play for that you're not playing for them well it's funny that you mentioned the word ethics because i think the whole thing is unethical to tell a kid where he's going to spend the first four years of his nfl career agreed so you fight you fight unethic with unethic and i think all's fair you know 12 years ago when Andrew Luck was the surefire number one overall pick in the draft to the Colts, they wanted to do their due diligence on RG3. And RG3 didn't cooperate. He didn't want to go there. That's one way that you can make it happen. If you're Caleb Williams, hey, we'd like to bring you to Chicago for, you know, a meal and get to know you and let you see the facility. No, thanks. I'm good. You know, that's kind of a sign. And, and that's why with quarterbacks particularly, you know, I say all the time, it doesn't matter if a quarterback, a veteran quarterback doesn't have a no trade clause. He doesn't need a no-trade clause because no one's going to trade for a guy that says, I really don't want to play for your sorry-ass team. So why would Caleb Williams get drafted by a team that it becomes clear to the team in the process of pre-draft he just doesn't want to be here? So I think that to the extent that he starts sending out signals sooner rather than later, that's when the Bears would have to realize, you know what, this kid just doesn't want to be here. So let's focus on the ones that want to be here instead. And that's a very subtle, low-key way to do it. I don't think it ever got out that RG3 had no interest in playing for the Colts. Now, look, both guys ended up having disappointing careers, one by choice, but it was closer than people remember between Luck and RG3. And RG3 was the offensive rookie of the year in 2012, not Luck. But RG3 played it right. It never was out there. He didn't want to play for the Colts. It was just kind of a a subtle unspoken thing because, you know, it would have embarrassed the Colts. So the Colts just kind of quietly pivot to Andrew Luck. He's the guy all along. Nobody ever says boo. We don't look bad. 
and RG3 doesn't look bad either. It can happen like that. I mean, that may be the way it plays out. All of a sudden, we start hearing reports that the Bears are smitten with Drake May or Jaden Daniels, that they've discovered this is the guy, and it just kind of softly becomes the Bears passing if they already know that Caleb Williams isn't interested. Or the the connection between Shane Waldron and Justin Fields is electric, and they're going to ride with that. Like there's, It's very interesting, like all of this stuff, Mike, like how it could play out and what why it's an interesting tale of, of what power the players do have if they don't want to be saddled to a franchise at the beginning of their career. And even if you do have more power now than ever before, you have to remember the PR side of it because the fans still haven't fully embraced this idea that kids have the right, they have every right to stand up and say, I don't want to do this. And it will stick to you if you have to be the one to do it. So I think the play is, and it's just fun to talk this out. I hadn't really thought about it in these terms. If Caleb Williams is going to try to finagle a path to the commanders, it needs to be subtle. It needs to be nuanced. And the first sign of it really would be, unnamed reports suggesting that the Bears have fallen in love with someone other than Caleb Williams. Why does it have to be subtle? Because, and I know that the stuff that's been leaked through Colin Coward has to do with their perception that he's a villain. And yet I agree with you. As much as I would like the Bears to have their shot at him, I'm with him, and, and I don't. I think he's got power and agency and, and standing. So why did it have to be subtle? Why can't he? Why, why can't he just say I? I do not want he's to. Car- he's carrying the banner for everyone that comes behind yeah. him. That hey, hey, why, why, why can't he just use a hammer? I'd love to see somebody do it. I've been advocating that for years. I've been I've been advocating for any and all players to push back against everything about this process that we're brainwashed into believing is an honor and a privilege. Being involuntarily told where you're going to spend the start of your career, being ripped away from your family, being forced to go live in a city where you don't want to live, work for people you don't want to work for, be part of an organization that you're convinced is hopelessly dysfunctional. How is that an honor and a privilege for anyone? And it needs to be a first one, and then it needs to happen more often. We've seen it. It's like, it's like Haley's Comet. It's like every 20 years, like clockwork. It's John Elway, and then it's Eli Manning. And now we're due for another one. But somebody needs to be the first, and then there needs to be a second one right away. It, it almost needs to be like the dynamic that played out within the past 10 years where guys started skipping bowl games. At first, the sky was falling, but more and more of them did it, and it just kind of overpowered the pushback. And everybody's like, well, okay, we understand why, why guys won't play in bowl games that are meaningless. And when Jalen Smith wrecked his knee and, and harmed his NFL prospects, that helped people better understand it. But you almost need to have – a critical mass of players who do it before the fans and the media will say, I understand why they do it. Maybe we should respect the power that these kids have. Mike, thanks for your time. Go do your show. We appreciate you. All right. Thank you. That's Mike Florio joining us a different day, different time because of Super Bowl stuff. Before you go to break, I just would like for you to read that Lincoln Riley quote for people in full. Just because, like, this is exactly what, like, if, if you want to j- jump down the rabbit hole, this is the type of thing that Mike is talking about, where it's, oh, well, first you hear it here, and then you hear it here, and then Cliff Kingsbury gets the job in Washington, and then Lincoln Riley says about him getting the job in Washington. This is a quote from Peter Schrager, who is senior national writer, FoxSports.com, and Good Morning Football. USC head coach Lincoln Riley on Caleb Williams, Cliff Kingsbury. 
quote, they have a great relationship. It was awesome for Caleb to have Cliff. In a perfect world, would I love a reunion for them? That would be great. But we all know a lot would transpire between now and the draft. So it's like all of these things that if you wanted to connect dots, you could. That's why I'm kind of with you where if you can do a lot, I think in a lot of good, if if part of your cause, if, if your cause isn't selfish, and I don't mean that in a pejorative way, like because he's totally allowed for his cause to be selfish where I only care about me. It's the rest of your life, man. This is, yeah, this is your professional life. But But if he also is like, I care about me and I also care about athletes after me that are going to be in the same position, you can say it loudly and proudly. If that's what you want. There's a way to do it. And you can hire people to help you craft the message. Well, doesn't it seem like the message is being crafted without having to hire people? Well, maybe. Or or with people they've hired. Who knows? It's very possible. Just stuff to keep in mind. Anthony Heron has football thoughts. He's going to join us in studio when we return on The Score. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas... Phoenix, and Rhode Island. Jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Celebrate and save at Ashley's Anniversary Sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep Mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Say something good up there? Uh, I said it has in the first half, not going to lie. They had us in the first half, not going to lie. But, and here we are now. I called that. I called that in the second quarter. I said, I can't wait at the end of the game. I'm going to be able to say this to the entire world. And then we did it. I can't wait at the end of the game. I'm going to say, hey, they had us in the first half, not going to lie. I can't wait till after the game and I get to say, you know what? They had us in the first half. Keep singing it. Have fun. Encourage you guys. Right? You're the guy. George Kittle called it. Sort of like I called it with the Miley Cyrus song. See? Everyone's favorite Bears fan, non-Bear. 
Everyone's favorite Bears fan, non-Bear, in football. In football. George Kittle. He loves the Bears. Freaking loves the Bears. I love the Bears. Join 670 The Score. That's us and Circa Sports Illinois for the big game party. Guess what it is? It's the day of the big game. It's Sunday. This Sunday, February 11th at Benchmark in Old Town. Who's going to be there? Who's not? Mully and Haw, the Bernstein and Holmes show with Layla Rahimi, Parkins and Spiegel. We're all broadcasting live from noon to 3 p.m. Getting you ready for the big game between Kansas City and San Francisco. What will we be discussing? Debating? I know they're planning right now. Maybe it'll be provocative questions like, is Brock pretty elite? <laughs> yes. Those are the types of things. Um, one follow-up on the Caleb Williams thing. Let me just finish this up. Sorry. You, you must have at least $100 in your Circa Sports Illinois app to attend. Doors open at noon. CircaSports.com to sign up. So here's the thing. You and I were talking about it during the break. Even if, 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 and again, all of this is us spelunking down the rabbit hole. Even if Caleb Williams has designs on playing for his hometown team, if he wants to go to Washington, Lincoln Riley is trying to help him get to Washington because Cliff Kingsbury is there, the Bears are under no obligation to help Caleb Williams get to Washington. Correct. The Bears. They can deal can, with anybody. Even if, if Caleb comes in and tanks these interviews, the Bears can be like, oh, okay, cool. We're going to trade our picks to New England. They can just, they don't have to then trade the picks. And then then Caleb and his crew, if this is what they want to do, and I'm not saying they do, but if this is what they want, then they got to do the whole thing over again with whomever. The Bears would then be in a position to, I have to find the best deal, mm-hmm. not I am here to get Caleb Williams to D.C. And even if Caleb Williams said, no matter who has that number one pick, unless it's Washington, I'm not playing for them. He could say that. And the Bears are like, okay, great. Whatever. Thank you, Thank you for your time and your honesty. Yeah, you, th- thanks for your candor. You do whatever you got to do. We'll, so will we'll we. do whatever we have to do to try to win a Super Bowl. Thank, but now that we have that knowledge, we can go ahead. Yeah, we can we can more intelligently go about our business to try and find what's best for us because we have the number one pick. Here's Anthony Heron. He is on Twitter at Big Ant Heron, analyst for the Score, Fox Thirty Two, Big Ten Network, is uh, here in studio. How are you? Hello, Daniel. Hello, Loho. How are you? We're great. How are you? I'm doing great, man. The uh... I, I apologize if I walk in with the over, overwhelming scent of weed on me. My my ride share getting up here was was rather shagadocious. You know, oh, make, making its way up the street. This is this is Jason's old excuse. Really? When he used to take the red line. <laughs> it's to, not me. He used to take the red line to school every day, and I'm like, smoke weed every day. I'm like, why do you smell like a blunt? <laughs> and he's like, he's like, Dad. Okay, so I'm on the red line. <laughs> like, Blame the red he's line. He's like, he's like right, this, yeah, this yeah, guy sits. like this right. guy sits down right next to me sure. and just fires one off. I'm like, the, really no. And I don't know because I guess of the as options, soon as he got south of Madison, I'm sure <laughs> of the options to downgrade a ride. One of the things they could list would be like, all right, was the vehicle cleanly or not? I could be misjudging. The the ride share that I used, maybe the vehicle was fine, but he had these long, thick, blonde dreads. That maybe it was the dreads that smelled 
like the they had captured weed. they yeah. had captured weed yeah. or he was u- or CBD doing oil doing the old no the serious old school dreads where you use the resin to help him lock up really oh okay. yeah like that's that's like real rasta stuff yeah. there all right he, he might have been all about it okay. i don't know i just know i stepped in i was like all right this is this is gonna be uh well, fortunately it's a short ride i don't live too far <laughs> or away. you get out <laughs> i wanted to get here and see you guys okay that's why. Are, are you also hungry? You want us to get you some munchies? Oh, you, you know I'm hungry. I got pork rice. I, mean, I, I show up hungry. You want pork rice? It, it's Monday. I mean, I guess nobody won anything. Okay. No, pork rice won't be as filling as real food. Oh man, that that's blasphemy. <laughs> Big he, pork he's got guy, a yeah. new bag of pork rinds. Pork a new. Rinds. I, I was he's trying, trying a new a new brand. New, yeah, spicier yeah. or something. No, I don't like that. No, okay. I'm, I'm a. I'm, I just give me your best. Your work. classic pork. Rinds. Give me your best work. <laughs> Show me just your, the old school show pork me, rind. Just show me your your best regular classic pork rind. Are there pork rind sommeliers? Is that what you, you want? Is there going to be I a mean, sponsorship Dan, on Dan the show? Dan kind of is one. Hey. Dan kind of is you, a pork rind sommelier. If you want me to walk you through your, yeah. your charcuterie plate of I rinds, I, I could do it for you anytime. You just remind me. Big Ann, what, what do you think of this uh, discussion that we've had in the, down the rabbit hole when it comes to Caleb Williams and his desire to play for your Chicago Bears? <laughs> the... The fact that that Caleb himself has has not yet publicly, you know, sort of said anything, hasn't addressed any ill will towards the Bears or towards anyone who would be at the top of the draft, then that's kind of where we've gotten to, I think, just in the discussion of prospects who've been as as public, as famous, as popular as Caleb Williams has up to this point. Because throughout the entire season, where he was the reigning Heisman Trophy winner, he was at, at one of the preeminent brands, in the sport for his senior season. And so we were just accustomed to, and he's, you know, not just on billboards, but on national ad campaigns. And so this is a, obviously a new phenomenon for college athletes. So Caleb was now thrust into the conversation in this enhanced way, really more so than even Trevor Lawrence from a few years ago. Yeah, Trevor Lawrence was the guy who was presumed as the number one pick since he left high school. But even the discussion about Trevor Lawrence wasn't as heightened as as the way Caleb Williams has been talked about over the last couple of seasons here. I think it gets to the point. I feel like part of what we saw play out with Colin last week was kind of people run out of stuff to say sometimes, and then you you add speculation into it, and then that that speculation, especially if it's viewed as informed speculation, turns into this additional conversation where it has to be addressed as though it is it is solid reporting when that's not always the case. And I feel like you know, Caitlin Clark and what played out over the weekend, some folks might be aware. I was just talking about it on my Big Ten radio show this morning where Cheryl Swoops had comments over the weekend about Caitlin Clark pursuing the the record. And I don't even know what the exact date was she made the comments. It was on Gilbert Arenas' podcast. It was either Thursday or Friday because I remember seeing it. Like and, she, she talked about her and Angel Reese. Right. And the, the initial comment that began to get aggregated where Cheryl Swoops was saying that you know, she felt like Andrew Reese and Caitlin Clark, they would both, when they get to the WNBA, they'll both figure some things out. They'll have to struggle for a little bit before they get there. But then there were some secondary comments that ended up getting aggregated that were a little more specific to Caitlin Clark's pursuit of the record. I think Studs and Ray, you, you guys you guys got that now? I think Angel will eventually be a good pro. I don't think Angel will come into the league immediately and dominate the way people think she will. And I say that for people who have never watched a WNBA game, it's good. Like there's talent, like these women can play. And because there are very few roster spots, like it's a real job. So people look at 
new players coming in, whether that's out of college, players who've been overseas, mm -hmm. and they look at that and say, oh, you trying to come take my job. Like, no, nah, it's not going to be that easy. So will Caitlin Clark be a good pro? Absolutely. Will Caitlin Clark come into the WNBA and do what she's doing right now? Immediately? Absolutely not. So this, I felt, felt like was, I guess, the more reasonable part of, of Cheryl Swoops' commentary. But then later on, there was a different comment later in the weekend that got aggregated where she was saying that because Kelsey Plum, who's the all-time leading scorer in women's basketball history, Caitlin Clark is going to pass her record this week, later this week, and become the all-time leading scorer. And one of the comments Cheryl Swoops made was she was basically she was misinformed thinking that Caitlin Clark was now in her fifth season, when she's actually in her fourth. She hasn't used a COVID year yet. But I think for people like Caitlin Clark, for people like Caleb Williams, we've talked about them so much over the last couple of years, and we know about all the money they're making in college. And it seems to me that now the conversation about college superstardom, and there's so many platforms that people comment about it on, where you can be ill-informed and misinformed and people will still pick this up and run with it and you feel like you have to have this strong opinion about it. And I think both these athletes right now who are still in college, who again, neither one of them publicly has necessarily done anything that sort of you know said anything negative about anywhere they might go. Caitlin Clark certainly hasn't said anything negative about Kelsey Plum or anybody she's passing in these records. But folks just feel like they got to have a strong opinion about these college stars right now. And I relate to Cheryl Swoops being misinformed about Caitlin Clark's record pursuit comes from a very similar place. It parallels a lot with Colin Cowherd and, you know, kind of just running off at the mouth a little bit last week about Caleb Williams and, and then having to come back. And it was cool to hear him on this station talking about it Friday afternoon with, with Matt and Danny. But, you know, I don't, I don't think you need to have this, this strong opinion, whether it's informed speculation or not about these folks as they're pursuing their professional exploits, but it's just kind of what the conversation has turned into at this point. Well, I think both of them represent a new frontier. Both of them have a financial power that no one's ever had before. Yeah. It actually might make sense for Caitlin Clark to go back to college. She might make more, right. Like she, because yeah. of the discrepancy in the salaries, yeah. she may be better off financially going back to school. Mm thinking about all that could be generated from that. And she's probably right that you get, you get to the, up to the pros and somebody's there ready to punch you in the mouth before you're, you know, can shoot your 35-footer. Mm -hmm. and, and life is a little different in that way. So I don't think she's entirely wrong. But I, that's the reason why this is different is because it is. We yeah. gotta, and, and, and we're going to come up with a different paradigm. There's going to be a different way of talking about the best college athletes Rather than just saying, oh, who's going to get the privilege by luck of telling them where they're going to spend the next five years of their professional life, which is, as Florio just said, it's, it's wrong, it's unfair, and it goes against whatever free market uh, principles people claim that they support. And because we've talked about them so much at this point, and Caleb Williams has been the presumed number one pick so long, then he's already suffering from something very similar to Taylor Swift, where there is this... This fatigued. oversaturation, yep. yes, where consumers get fatigued with hearing about their greatness and their excellence and the way they get consumed. And so already before Caleb Williams has been drafted by, been signed by an NFL team, but here in Chicago and likely fan bases around the sport as well, feel like they're already perhaps going to have this negative idea of what he will mean in joining their team. It's and again, wild. And that my questions about Caleb are on the field. Like I do have what I feel like are legitimate queries about 
his transition to the NFL because of his style of play. That, to me, is completely fair ground. But then a lot of things that turn into rumor and speculation about his intentions then cast this negative light on him before he said it or done it himself. And I don't really think it's a negative. I don't. He, he might think it mm. is negative, and there may still be a vocal group of fans. Mm-hmm. Who is it? How, how dare he? Right, that's a subjective if he thing. Doesn't, if he doesn't want us, we don't want yeah, him. But, but yeah. I don't have a problem with it. Go ahead. Just, I think we all just have to understand this is the world we live in now, and that's okay. I think that's... That's probably a, a far more nuanced, I, I think, look at it than because a lot of fan bases would feel jilted by the guy, the guy who may be the best player in this draft, may could turn into the best player in their franchise's history, saying, I don't want to come play for you. And I can understand where people would feel jilted about that. That's fine, but if a Bears fan doesn't understand why a quarterback wouldn't want to come to the Bears, you're not paying attention <laughs> to anything. Where you been? I, mean, you're the, uh, I guarantee you it's the same guy wearing the Bears jersey with all of the cross out quarterback names and making fun of the team, complaining about how they never have a quarterback, you can't be the same guy that then wonders why a quarterback doesn't trust the the developmental structure here. You have all people you should know better. And so really then the angst could be directed more at the Bears for not looking like they've actually developed a quarterback and that it's a good landing ground for a QB. It shouldn't be at the prospect. It should be at the team that isn't a good landing ground for them. Of course, it, it, it should be. Uh, but but like we were saying before you jumped on, like the Bears don't have to, if, if this is true at all, mm-hmm. and, and we are trying very hard to make Which, sure that we say. According to Caleb and his camp, it is not. It is up not. Up to this point. The Bears are under no obligation to help Caleb nor the, the Washington Commanders. Mm-hmm. They're here to help themselves. And if they find out at the end of this that it is true, then they have to pivot and turns you whatever it is that they think that the, the next best option. If the next best, best option is, well, we have a quarterback that we kind of like anyway. Instead of trading him, we're going to trade this pick, mm-hmm. and we're going to get more stuff to surround him similarly, hopefully similarly, to what the 49ers have with Brock Purdy. And, and, and you get to see what's the, the top prospect versus the guy at the end of the draft with a whole bunch of talent around him which one of those things is is a better way to build a team? And the answer is probably either way. Like if you can get a a Patrick Mahomes, obviously you're <laughs> gonna, you're going to have him. Mm-hmm. But if you can also just say, hey, maybe our quarterback isn't the best, but he's really good and he's made better if we surround him with players that are going to help him launch a career in us to winning games. And it's not a situation that we're accustomed to many teams having to deal with. I mean, I see folks on the text line reminding of Joe Burrow and some of the rumors there as he entered the NFL. And, of course, Joe Burrow ended up going to the Bengals, ended up doing quite well so far in his time in Cincinnati. So rumor or not, you know, Caleb Williams could, and, and I would say at this point is still likely to end up here as the Bears quarterback. But if he doesn't, that's certainly not the only route towards success. And there's, I sent you guys a list when I was in with you last week. I've talked about it on the station a few times here lately. Over the last quarter century, there's so half the league has had more success than the Bears throughout this century of the 2000s and beyond here and been in the playoffs more consistently, competed for more Super Bowls without necessarily having like the guy, like that guy. And the teams who've done it at, a, at the most consistent level because they had a Hall of Fame, a Hall of Famer quarterback, the Colts are the only one who had that number one overall pick 
and had that Hall of Famer at quarterback. The Packers didn't draft Aaron Rodgers or Brett Favre at number one overall and then become great. They got them both there and developed them into greatness. Drew Brees was not great before he got to the New Orleans Saints. He got with Sean Payton and was developed into that greatness. So there, there are a lot of paths toward this that don't involve drafting a rookie at number one overall. And so many franchises in the National Football League. Most of them fail. Most of them do fail. Now, if you got a shot at the dude and you draft him and you're confident that's the dude, then yes, that is definitively the route to go down. But most of the times this works out, it's not because you have the number one overall pick and that guy just cures all your ails. Let's take a timeout. When we come back, let's talk about the Super Bowl with Big Ann here. Let's get his thoughts on how San Francisco matches up with Kansas City. Don't go anywhere. We're going to keep talking about all of this incredible football stuff. It's the Bernstein at Home Show. Big Ant's here. You're listening to The Score. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is my show. My friends come on. We talk about basketball now, golf, and the metronome of your life, baseball. Whether it's opening day, the big tournament, or one of the majors, we have the best to preview it and break down just what happens. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Bernstein and Holmes. I hate being a fan of this team. On Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. I don't, I'm not uh, really talking or focused on his critics like we all sitting here uh, because of him obviously so when you think of him what kinds of characteristics come to mind uh steady dog um just football player he's a football player i love playing football with him um and he, he's the reason why I'm sitting here today feeling like I have opportunity this weekend um, to play my best football because a quarterback him like him. That's Brandon Ayuk talking while playing the piano. I bet you didn't know. Just great jazz pianist. Does I was all, very impressed. Does, does his interviews while the tickling the ivories. I wonder if Brandon Ayuk's story is going to be one that gets a spotlight because he was a zero-star recruit hmm. in high school that was playing corner. And I think he played one year of high school ball, and he played at corner, and most places wanted him to play corner. And Arizona State was mm-hmm. one of the only places that said, come play wide receiver for us. And then it took him, I think, two years to get on the field yep, down I was, there. I was calling his games back then. Yep, he was a very kind of slow starter early in his career. Had, had that, and we made the comp pretty immediately. He had that Debo Samuel type of vibe to mm-hmm. him. Is he a running back? Is he a receiver? You know, how much nuance is there to his route running? The hands aren't the most natural. When he gets the football, if there's potential for something big to happen when he got it, he just didn't quite know what he was doing at first. Now that we're here, now that we are in Super Bowl week, what are the things, like, let's say from the perspective of the 49ers since we were talking about Brandon Ayuk. Mm. He's only 25. Mm-hmm. A lot of ball left. Wow. A lot he's, of growth and development than left. Jones. <laughs> he is younger than Bayless Jones. <laughs> What, what do you think is important for San Francisco in this matchup against Kansas City? They really haven't played well yet in the postseason. And I don't know if, in theory, having a week off beforehand should maybe help with that, but it didn't help before the first playoff game. And this is, of course, the, the best opponent they'll have faced so far. But the 49ers just really haven't played well here through their first couple of postseason games. And – yeah, Brock Purdy is certainly part of that, but the team as a whole, I don't think, has necessarily been the the just the dominant outfit that we've seen them throughout much of the regular season. Certainly, the second half of the regular season. So, I don't necessarily think a fast start is necessary, but 
But big moments, you know, moments of efficiency and consistency, even if they lead to punts, but just some early success, even if it doesn't lead to touchdowns. But it, it just seems like a squad that hasn't had a lot of rhythm here in the playoffs. And and then just the, the big picture story of whether or not Kyle Shanahan, between coordinating and head coaching, you know, he's got a, another quarterback that the feeling is he's getting the, the best you will ever see out of his current QB. And then if they go through this game and – and one of the greatest of all time, or the coach, quarterback, whatever, if the Chiefs make this happen and the 49ers don't win it, then how quickly do, do we start to turn on Kyle Shanahan, who is, who is obviously one of the best coaches going right now in football, but if this is another Super Bowl where he comes up short, and especially if it's they've got a lead in the second half and they give it up, then how quickly do we, do we start to turn on Kyle Shanahan? I'm very curious Well, I think about we need that. to see how it goes down, and I'll be interested to see in those scripted plays – what he tells us he's looking for because at least with Shanahan unlike some I know that he knows how to read that script Mm -hmm. he knows how to use those plays and and know that when the second half starts he's filed away this is how they responded I can show this formation and I can do this that I I at least trust that from him so I'll be really interested to see how he probes early on with formation with pre-snap movement especially and to to be able to use you know these movable chess pieces that he has access to, it, it's a part of what makes this system special because he can key in on the versatility of his players offensively, and then to your point, file away. How did the defense react when we lined up McCaffrey in the backfield and then motioned him out? They can or line when, anybody up anywhere. Yeah, when right. All, when, when all of your receivers can be running backs and uh, all of your running backs can be receivers, that yep. makes you really dangerous. Even Juszczyk can be can be a receiver in, in a their offense. a good one. Exactly, like that, right. That play that he the made toe on the side over near the sideline. A fullback? Yeah, right. They can all do those things. And so it just it, it makes them so difficult to decipher how they're going to attack you because so many guys can not only line up in different spots, but then execute at a high level. Like, it's one thing to see. You know, we've seen at times Bears coordinators say, hey, we're going to put this guy in this different spot. We're going to split out blazing game. <laughs> yeah, right. And then nothing's going to work. The protection breaks down. The ball's going to sail. And he's and not going to run a good And our route. smallest wide yeah, receiver. Uh, Darnell Mooney is setting yeah, yes. the edge on the play. Yeah, now, Darnell, yeah. go ahead and be our lead blocker. But it's about the players actually being able to get it done when they get there, whether it's because they've been the coach – honestly recognizes the skill that they bring to that position or has coached them up into executing it better or just calls it at the right time, the right position, the right situation in the game to get the most out of them. But that type of versatility for the personnel and for the coach who's putting them in those spots, it puts the opposing defense in a bind. So in a way that Kansas City was able to do against Baltimore where they got the Ravens out of their preferred temperament offensively, because they had early offensive success. And so where Baltimore's defense, number one in football, they were getting gassed early by the Chiefs, and then it impacted their offense. San Francisco's defense is going to be important for them early in that game to keep Mahomes and Kelsey and, frankly, the Chiefs' run game to keep them at bay early because, to me, that's the development of Andy Reid. All the way going back to his time in Philadelphia, Andy Reid has developed as an in-game run schemer and run caller and the willingness to stick with it, even with having a guy who's one of the greatest shot callers and playmakers at quarterback of all time, he's still willing to go back to the run game, especially this season, in a way that I feel like he's he's sort of departed from too frequently in the past. There doesn't seem to be a good idea for defending against Patrick Mahomes. Mm -hmm. Like last week, you could make the argument against Lamar. You can go, okay, well, we're going to stay back in zone. 
a little bit. We're we're going to try to get right. there with our with our front, and we'll make sure that we're disciplined and don't lose gap integrity and allow him to get to the outside. With Patrick Mahomes, he's not necessarily fast, but he's mm-hmm. a really good and instinctive yes. runner. And obviously, he's a great passer. So what do you do if you're the 49ers and say, what's the plan of attack to try and slow him down? As he's looking to extend the play, because he can make big plays with his legs, but it's, it's kind of conceptually as a defense, you want to make the offense, the opposing offense, do the most difficult thing. Do the thing that will, that will you know, sort of that you want to die a slow death, essentially. You can't defend every blade of grass on the field. So if Patrick Mahomes is going to beat you with his legs, that's kind of the lesser of the the five to ten evils that you can face against Kansas City's offense. To me, going more man coverage is what's going to be key to me in this game for San Francisco to make sure that you don't allow Mahomes and Kelsey to have the comfort of him, you know, of Travis Kelsey finding the, the soft spots in the zone and Patrick Mahomes being able to just dump the ball off to him or Pacheco or, you know, just the the comfort that comes with that. Some quarterbacks, as we know here in Chicago, Justin Fields tends to get more uncomfortable facing zone than he does versus man. Mahomes can carve up any defense, but to me playing man where you at least have, you can reroute Kelsey off the line of scrimmage where you may have to turn your back to the quarterback more frequently, and Mahomes can certainly, to your point, hurt the defense with his legs. That's not his preferred mode of operation. So, yes, he'll extend the play. He'll pick up first downs. He'll occasionally – you know, trick you and run for a touchdown. But that, to me, is at least your better option as opposed to having allowing the comfort in the pocket because Travis Kelsey will always find the soft spot. He will always find the hole in the zone concepts. And, you know, San Francisco's got linebackers who, who are capable of at least being physical off the line of scrimmage oh, and rerouting him. So. There's no doubt. So I think that, to me, is the preferred route for San Francisco defensively. You want to hear something unbelievable that just crossed? Sure. Yes. This is from John Orand, uh, from he does uh, sports media news. The Grammys' top TV market from last night was what city? Kansas City. Oh, it wow. was <laughs> a thirteen point six rating. It is up eighty six percent from last year. So does that mean it's going both ways then? The, the Swifties are coming to the NFL and the NFL is the, going to the music industry? The top TV market for the Grammys was Kansas City. Hmm. I'm curious, what the did, did he say what the next market was? Uh, I think he's doing this piecemeal. Because I would love like to know like how much, because that, that's a huge number you know for what the, the Grammys. Answer, every time it's a I, huge number. It's a massive number. The, for some reason, every time I look at one of these numbers, the market that always grabs my eye that that appears is Providence. Hmm. You notice that? Like, for I don't know why the <laughs> the, the, the pro, whatever it is, uh-huh. hockey, football, something you'll see Providence mm. or like Richmond or something on yeah. there. I'm like, what? <laughs> okay, there's always some weird TV viewing markets that have. Odd tastes. So I will be curious to see the top ten. At this markets. early part of the year between, you know, having the Grammys, the, the Oscars will be coming up pretty soon. We obviously got the Super Bowl where uh, – and the Pro Bowl was over the weekend, the Pro Bowl games. Oh, and speaking of Oscars, by the way, Mr. Holmes, Professor uh, Cinema, did you see how many nominations Asteroid City got? One. None. Damn it. Mm. You said it was going to get all of them. I haven't seen it yet. Is it Don't. Worth my time? It's Wes Anderson, it and it's going to make. That's why okay. I'm messing with him. Because okay. I'm like, oh, it's going to get all the Oscars. Yeah. 
And, uh, and I didn't even disagree with you. But maybe, <laughs> so shut up. maybe finally, the wise way, maybe people realize that Wes Anderson is insufferable. I mean, I liked his early stuff. It's just I've stopped watching them because it's just kind of a one-trick thing. Like They all look the same. They all sound the same. The plot is very similar over and over again. Oh, my God. You, early, you, it seemed clever. Now, you, you just want to ball bat everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. just, no one's likable. Every they all scene, talk slow. Flamethrower to yeah. everybody. And it's just yeah. like, and that movie has so many people that you love in it. It mm. doesn't matter. I know. Because they're in this twee little dollhouse of a movie. <laughs> yes. That's what I kick it over. Yeah, it was it was cute right, at first, there. but now Af- I want more. Apropos of nothing, I I, I, that, that's been right. in the back of my head for a while. <laughs> you know it's going to get all the awards. You can't get any awards. They're not nominated for any. Kiss my ass. <laughs> But I do think, like, whether it's the Grammys, the Oscars, the Pro Bowl games, people still watch this stuff. Sure. But I think there's so much complaint about them, though. Of course, it's Tracy Chapman and was it Luke Combs, right? They're doing the fast car. It was good. It was really good. But then, you know, you get folks who afterwards are like, who cares about the Grammys? You just get the inevitable social media reaction of, why do we care about this? Who cares about the Grammys? Who wants to watch the Pro Bowl games? But millions of people still tune in for all this stuff. But as opposed to appreciating the kind of the pinnacle of artistry and entertainment and all these you know, endeavors where you, you have the awards show or the awards season at the end of it to say last year, this was the best of the best. And so now we're going to honor the best of the best from the previous year or from the history of our sport. But then you still get that reaction afterwards with folks trying to claim they don't care about it when there are millions upon millions of people on an annual basis who tune in for this, tune in to see who's got the awards and the ones who have the awards, who's on the playing surface or who's singing the songs and everybody come together. Who are the actors in the biggest and best movies of the year? So I, I just the the reaction to these events that all kind of culminate at the start of the following season. I do find it comical that everyone tries to claim they don't care about those items when millions of people obviously do. And they're on social media reacting to the fact that they supposedly don't care. I I enjoy your social analysis there. That is is on point. The only reason the Pro Bowl changed, yes, it didn't look like the regular season version of it. The only reason it changed because so many people on social media went on and complained about the fact that it didn't look like the regular season game. Millions of people were still watching the Pro Bowl. Now we got the Pro Bowl games instead, so hopefully folks will be less annoyed by that. Yes. Well, no, they'll they'll still be annoyed. Uh, Jalen Johnson, by the way, saved the Pro Bowl for the NFC. Uh It's not the Pro Bowl. It's totally the Pro Bowl games. Pro Bowl games. Pro Bowl games. I got in a discussion. In the flag football game. On Friday night, there was a a woman at Mariano's who was pouring samples of of various drinks. And she had this big logo there. And she's like, yeah, the Pro Bowl is this weekend. (laughs) Like, that logo is not up to date first of all <laughs> and i said i said second of all you know they don't really have a pro bowl anymore which it's, of it's, course she didn't know. Serious, she's like no i didn't know that i said yeah just you probably know that mm-hmm. maybe it's better off you're pitching this stuff for the grammys you know people are gonna have, maybe have a grammys party or something like that i don't think people are getting together <laughs> buying reposado tequila <laughs> for, the, for the pro bowl <laughs> but maybe uh, for the big game though coming up the following week well that that's why they're there this week I uh-huh. think. yeah so there, yeah. So this is a good time for for uh, discounts and for free samples, especially on the Thursday and Friday. You can walk around and find all sorts of cool stuff. Yeah, I don't mind cool stuff. Oh no, or samples. No, frankly, yeah, free samples of tequila. Yeah, yeah. The problem it depends is, on the tequila. Are really? What do you like? Well, I hadn't tried eighteen hundred until we went on vacation last year, 
And that was that was that was different for me. The silver? Yes. Yeah. Yes. That was a very different that's experience for me than tequila clean, than I had before. That that that, that also Is it crisp and clean? <laughs> no caffeine. No, this is your second Jeffrey Holder reference. <laughs> We're gonna do as many as we can. Yeah. Eighteen hundred is good at mixes very well. Yeah. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. It was at a resort and they was like, Hey, we pouring them. I was like, All right, I'm drinking them. So that was that was nice. I hadn't had it before. That's good attitude. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and I went back the next night too. It was good. Oh, so the next time we head over to series is invite big hand. <laughs> I'm, I'm right here. You live far away from Sirius. I don't get to go to Sirius. He's, he's closer to Sirius than you. So? And he's black. <laughs> so? I am black. And it was a meeting of the, the, the folks of the National Association of Black Journalists. But Shane was there. He's the whitest white that ever whited. <laughs> he's a friend of the community. I know he is, but if Shane isn't too white, then I'm not. Like I said, he's a friend of the community. He's Shane Reardon. I mean... The guy actually has a dairy farm in Ireland. (laughs) Fun fact about Shane. I did not know that. Oh, yeah. He's like super white. (laughs) Super white. Is that on his business card? I think so. (laughs) Thanks, Big Ant. Yeah, thank you. All right. See ya. High Noon is next. There's a cinematic debate to be had. About about one of our favorites who just left us. So I'm going to share something, and then we're going to talk about it. Next, here on The Score. Bernstein and Holmes, middays 10 to 2 on 670 The Score. I'll be back this way on Monday. We'll settle this then. Right there, out in the street, in front of the Palace Saloon. Yeah, right. When? High noon? It's time for high noon, and uh, after hearing what we were going to talk about, Anthony Heron decided he didn't want to leave. <laughs> All right, See, so, that's a tease. Yes, well, you know, yes. you know you've got a successful tease when, when, <laughs> really when the guest is like, yeah, I'm not I got to stay for this. <laughs> yeah. All right, so what I have to play for High Noon is a little long, so I'll save it for tomorrow. Oh. It'll it, it's, it's, it's Stallone talking about Carl Weathers, right. but we might as well just get into the conversation about Carl Weathers and Apollo Creed. Go. Okay. The first person I saw tweet about this was our guy Richard Deitch, who we had on last week as a guest. So I brought it up when we recorded the Organizations Win Championships podcast on Friday as just a little thing to talk about as we noted the passing of Carl Weathers. The Rocky movies have always been very important to my OWC co-host. Huge, huge, huge fan. At one point was Rocky for Halloween in third grade. I had to put all the fake bruises on his face and we taped his hands up and he had the sweatsuit so here's the question i went as chubbs one time for halloween by the way that's a separate conversation did you oh yeah yeah had the yes had the 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 hand is in the deal and the glove is here and we tape it on that's so cool Uh, the famous beach sprint series of beach sprints in rocky three we know that at that eventually there's a climactic moment when Rocky finds the eye of the tiger. He beats Apollo in the beach sprint. They frolic in the surf in their tight shorts and their their rippling muscles. And their rippling muscles and their striped (laughs) socks in one of the gayest scenes in movie history. And we all know that, but that's not why you call. When we watch it closely, we see it's obvious for sure that Carl Weathers is letting Sylvester Stallone win. It's comical in slow motion. Mm. His cheeks are puffing out, and he's trying to pump his fists. And he's as he runs, and he's looking sideways. Oh my god, I'm losing. Am I still waiting on you? And, and it's hilarious because this is a former NFL linebacker 
against a, a dude <laughs> who's like my height. Against you. Right? He's Essentially. He's, a, he's against significantly you on shorter than you, dude. I don't think. Really? Maybe an inch yeah. shorter. Maybe I'm shrinking. So the question isn't, did Carl Weathers let Sylvester Stallone win? The question is, are we watching Apollo let Rocky win? I love that question so and much. What's, and I hadn't thought of it that way. I, I had always presumed that Rocky won. And then when, when we talked about it on the pod, I, and I, I learned this. Jason said he had always presumed, from the moment he first saw it, his presumption was that it was Apollo letting Rocky win because it's what his confidence needed. All right, let me let me argue the negative on this. Considering how the training started between the two of them, and where you have Apollo literally <laughs> punching him in the face, punching over him over in the face, just pummeling him, like saying you need to get your your bleep together, and then throwing him in the pool, knowing that that man couldn't swim, <laughs> and then running over and over again. I'm I'm going to argue There is no tomorrow. Yes. There is no tomorrow. I'm going to argue that Apollo did not let him win that that through Rocky leaning up his body and perseverance and and gaining rhythm by gaining, the way. Which very had, important. Very important strange. when you're trying to box, you got to gain some rhythm. What are you doing? Well, you can't dance to the music, you ain't got the rhythm. I don't sweat you. So so I'm going to say that because like it has to happen that way. But I don't think Apollo gives anything. It's and not in his nature. It's, not in, it's, it's so much not in his nature that that's how does the movie end? Ding, With ding. him getting ready to beat his hind parts again yep. after the movie ends. And, and you know, him saying, you know, I, I may have taught you all the stuff that you know, but I haven't taught you all the stuff that I know. So I'm going to argue that Rocky won that race on the beach, which makes it even fair more ridiculous, <laughs> <laughs> of because course. there isn't a there isn't a single scintilla of possibility <laughs> that even if you juiced him up with all of those fabulous drugs he was on in the next movie, even if you did all of that, Dan. Which, which by the way, no you, easy you, way out. Yes, but you talk about the irony, no the, the irony of showing Ivan Drago with the needle in Ivan him, Drago. and then Ivan Drago. <laughs> And then, they, and then they show Sylvester Stallone with, like, the body of a 24-year-old. <laughs> it's like, gee, really? I, you think you think that's the guy on steroids? <laughs> right. Hey, dude, think so. I don't know how many. That was like, I don't know. I've heard it's of like six a packs. pack. Oh, yes, I mean, they were just abs on top of abs on top of abs. That, it was ridiculous. It streamed man. the early days of human growth hormones <laughs> Come on, to me. man. Right, I, you can laugh out loud. Like, oh, this dirty Soviet <laughs> yeah, with all right. these drugs. All this technology, where all I need is a log and some boots and a fire. Are you guys saying that Rocky didn't get that ripped up, throwing around hay bales on whatever that farm thing he was at for the whole training montage? Somehow in the first two movies. Siberian farm. He also had a bunch of HGH there. He was approximately 33% body fat in the first two movies, and then from there on out, he was about 3% body fat. Was he like 40 years old? How old was he? He was old and washed up in Rocky 1. And then they made six <laughs> no, more wasn't. movies. Yes, he was the old, and... washed up. No, the fighter. Can I say Palooka? Is Palooka? Yeah. Uh, okay. Palooka's All right. okay. Sure. All right. yeah. Jobber. He yeah. was he yeah. was an old, washed up jobber in uh, Rocky 1, which yes. was the whole point. <laughs> and then, you know, 
<laughs> it's like exactly the sequence you watch body. those movies in though for me as a kid rocky four was the first one that i saw so i saw them out of sequence so my impression of paulie was very Wait, different having seen that one first and then watching them in the opposite order getting a sense for like oh paulie's kind of a bad guy in the first couple of movies i didn't really recognize that because in rocky four he's just kind of the comedy sidekick by this guy yeah. well, was kind of 38 38 in rocky four 38? Oh, see, that, that says that. that says 12 pack. That says <laughs> right? all he did was he just stopped eating bread. Uh-huh. And then and ran, early up, the, ran up a mountain and, early and, and put the chop some wood. Uh, yeah, did the did the, the sit-ups when they're holding his There's feet and yeah. leaning on the hayloft. He's outrunning a Mercedes Benz in the snow. All that good stuff. USA! 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 If I can change! There's Gorbachev. He's all he's over there and right. he stands. Yeah. That's my favorite scene where when Gorbachev stood up right. and the dude from the, the Soviet sports didn't stand up and Gorbachev was like, you better stand your ass up. Do you like having two hands? All right. Stand up and clap them together. You better get your ass up right now. You better not leave me hanging. That's high noon. <laughs> Dan Wiederer talks Bears and Super Bowl next on The Score. Dan Wiederer, on-air contributor for 670 The Score. You're going to be relying on a lot of young players, guys that have to materialize into who they thought they were. The Bears are who we thought they were. When either they drafted them or guys that they believe in that were already here, that's guys like Justin Fields. Bears beat reporter and enterprise writer for the Chicago Tribune. We'll mention this mainly because Chicago Tribune writer Dan Wiederer said we would mention this nugget. I leave here tonight just thinking that maybe this was just a timely reminder that this team isn't there yet, and they're a long way from there yet, and this climb is really steep. Dan Wiederer. Get your track shoes on. With Bernstein and Holmes on 670 The Score. Love talking football with Dan Wiederer, and there's a lot going on in the NFL right now, and a lot of it has to do with reading tea leaves and intentions on some people who might have a role in the Bears' future. We'll talk that, and we'll talk Super Bowl with our guy who is on Twitter at Dan Wiederer and with us on the Score Hotline presented by Circus Sports Illinois, twitch.tv slash Chicago 670 The Score. Hey, Dan, how are you? Hi, fellas. Happy Super Bowl week. You too. So your guy, Luke Getze, got himself a job. And one of the tenured reporters there, Vic Tafer, says that part of the reason they hired Luke Getze was the Raiders are convinced that Getze wasn't the problem with the Bears' offense. I found I find that interesting. Probably how that got decided. Did we lose Dan? Are you guys there? Yeah, we got you. I lost you for a second oh, there. Okay. You, well, I, I, I heard you. Say, I heard you say the Raider the Raiders weren't convinced that that. Luke was the predominant problem with the the Bears' offense. Is that uh, that's where yeah, it cut out? Yeah, apparently the uh, Vic Tafer of the Athletic, I believe, still in uh, Las Vegas, said that the Raiders were convinced that Luke Getzey was not the problem with the Bears' offense. I, I would throw the word predominant in there, right? Like, because I think <laughs> obviously when we when we uh, locked horns over this in in December, I think the, the the conversation was about the pie chart and how big of a, a responsibility Luke shared in that. Now, I think there's been some sentiments expressed uh, league-wide that where there's some people that see uh, an offense that that was not 
catered well enough to the quarterback's strengths to bring out the the level of emergent development that you wanted to see in season three from Justin Fields. And then there are others that go through the tape and they see opportunities, you know, a handful every game where um, there were moments there that would have changed games, which would have changed seasons, which would have changed career trajectories. And so there's been a mixed sentiment, I think, around the league on what kind of job Luke did in 2023. The Raiders obviously willing to bet on this. They, they obviously did not get across the finish line with Cliffs Kingsbury, pivoted quickly, uh, hired Luke as their, their second choice after interviewing, I think, five or six guys for the job. And now, uh, you know, we'll have an opportunity to watch from afar what he's able to do in a new setting with a, a new offense and a, a new quarterback. What's your plan of attack when it comes <laughs> to trying to deal with the things, you know, that Dan and I have to talk about every day as it, you know, as the Caleb Williams turns, like how, how do you view what we have to do to inform the public, but, but, but we still end up kind of feeding the beast, even if we're doing that. Yeah, this is layered and complex. And, and we actually had a conversation, uh, you know, a week and a half ago inside our building about how you could literally make Caleb Williams his own beat for the next four months and not run out of daily content to <laughs> to cover. And so um, given our, our current situation and our resources, we're trying to come up with a formula for doing this in a way that is informative, responsible, um, and handling all the twists and turns that come with what is going to be a wild couple months here. We, we experienced it last week, and that's just the start of the roller coaster. You know, this isn't going to slow down now. Between now and whenever the Bears make a decision, whenever Caleb Williams makes a decision, whenever the roller coaster gets <laughs> back to the station, which is probably uh, the first weekend of May when, when the draft finishes up and we're all able to take an exhale. So um, there's a lot here, and, and it, there's going to be a lot here, and it's only going to have more added on to the a lot that's already here. Uh, that's a long way of answering a question of, of just how complex this is going to be in the months to come look like the next time that we know that we'll hear from Caleb Williams is when he goes to a podium at the combine uh, on the final Friday of this month. A few days before that, Ryan Poles will have his annual combine session. So in three weeks, we should have some actual on the record um, quotes to sift through. Uh, in the meantime, it's all about kind of casting lines and, and hooks and talking to people that are uh, willing to share some insight and information and trying to figure out what exactly is happening. And, and right now it's been a little bit difficult. It, and it's, it's also difficult just because of I know that your job is made a little bit more difficult. And, and we talked about some of the, the media stuff, too. And I know that there are some people like, oh, I don't want to hear the media talking about media. But with the way that, that it has changed, how, how, how much easier or difficult is it for you to do your job? Um, which regard? I probably have a couple different answers. When it, when it comes to whether or not to share information that – Ne is it necessarily sourced yeah. when it comes to Caleb Williams? Yeah, no, that's see, that's a really good question. And to quote Mark Tressman, I heard some of what you guys said last week, but I didn't hear all of it. But what I did hear, I heard and it was great. Um, but I, I, you know, it's it's trying to remain responsible with it. I think Lawrence is the biggest challenge is in, in making sure that you're not throwing logs on the fire just because you feel the urge to throw logs on the fire. One of the things that I've kind of used in my world as a reporter for a long time is, is just kind of the, the, the concept of according to who and based on what and making sure, particularly in situations like this, that you're always kind of understanding that part of every piece of information you get according to who and based on what, and then you have to try to be uh, your own 
gatekeeper, right? And, and, and police it obviously within the, the confines of where I work in the Chicago Tribune, I've got great sounding boards within my bears coverage team, within my editing staff, but that's a big part of this is according to who and based on what, and then trying to filter it to a uh, public who's hunger for this stuff is insatiable, insatiable, yes. insatiable, but also irresponsible. And that's where I think this has gotten difficult in, in my 20 plus years in the business is that it's just, people don't care how valid or verified information is anymore. They just want it. <laughs> and then they have conversations about it for, for long periods of time because they're just so it, 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 hungry and insatiably hungry for it. Well, and it's also because the, the, any place that actually supplies verified information is barely hiring anybody or is still Correct. barely still employing anyone. And then even those people yeah. don't really have editors anymore. So a lot of the stuff, it doesn't have the same filtration. And I think in large part because people don't seem to care and it means people get a lot of bad info. Scary, isn't it? You know, and you're right. Everything you just said there is dead on. And I almost like felt my stomach drop as you described that because it's just, it's a scary uh, terrain that we're on and, and we're, we're all trying to navigate. And I, I mean, I'm sure you guys experienced this last week, even amongst your three shows, you know, and how different maybe the reaction to certain information was and how you process it and how you filter it and how you bring it to your to your audience in a way that, that hopefully, um, I, Dan, I think you have one of the best mission statements, which is to try to not make people dumber. <laughs> like that's a great goal. And hopefully we can uh, collectively achieve that in a world that is increasingly willing to be dumber. It's and hard. That, no, it's really yeah. hard. And I, and, and I stole that from Joe Sheehan because he always said that that was the job of a baseball broadcast, that his bar on a baseball broadcast was don't actively make people dumber. And this, this was through the, the metric revolution and uh, people who, we're actively not understanding the game or pushing back against certain measurements. We've gotten certainly well past that, but I do think it should be a rallying cry for people in our position who do have the time and the wherewithal and the experience to try to sort through what's real yeah. and what's not. But the truth is, Dan, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, exactly. I, I can't it, tell anymore if it be because of, of the NIL rules changing because of the entire major college sports landscape changing as, as quickly as it does when coaches don't know when NCAA officials don't know we're playing catch up too. Yeah. At all times. And and so there, there's just a, a dance that needs to be done here, you know, and, and as it relates to last week with the Colin Coward stuff, it was really hard to kind of figure out where the line began to blurred on what was informed reporting and what was opinion-based speculation, because you obviously have um, someone who came on with the afternoon show and, and talked about being tapped in with Caleb's camp and, and trying to relay some of those sentiments that can be valuable in a lot of different ways, but quickly it went from, you know, Caleb's camp makes it very clear that he wants to have a uh, loud, passionate organization and city to join. Um, and he wants the most intense pressure there could possibly be. And then in the next breath, it was Colin sort of saying, but, Oh, well, the lions and the Packers are really good. And so he's going to try to run away from that. And you're like, okay, well, we, we, at what point did this go from what you heard from Caleb's camp to things that you think in your head? And that's where it gets super blurry and super difficult to distinguish. And so um, like the, the, the person that's going to, going to have to, talk on this eventually. And then, like I say, there is a, a scheduled date at the end of this month is Caleb Williams. And we're going to have to hear from him directly um, to try to determine whether he's telling the truth <laughs> when he's hit with very direct questions to try to, um, you know, decipher his, his uh, sincerity and, and, and where he wants his 
career to go. And then we're obviously going to have to pick the brains of the people at Hallis Hall who are engaged in this really intense homework assignment to answer these questions on a level that, that obviously has their jobs at stake. And so, uh, yeah, there's a lot here. And, and, and I think also like you guys know that the pre-draft process is always going to be murky and chaotic and crazy. This is an extreme circumstance because the bears are picking one with a prospect that is kind of a, a new world person, you know, in terms of all these NIL things and other things that come with it, that only makes it sort of an extreme case study in what's already been a very uh, chaotic landscape. Have you had any conversations with anyone around the NFL about how that landscape has changed because of of NIL and that there is some like if, if, if you are Caleb Williams, you're thinking, I don't want to play for the Bears. And guess what? I don't have to. Sure, I can't go back to USC, but I got enough money that I could hide out for a year or longer. So have, have you talked to anyone about how that changes the, 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 the geometry of when you're trying to figure out whether someone's going to be your quarterback? Well, that hypothetical feels a little extreme from people I've talked to in terms of his willingness to just punt on a, on a year. Um, and and wait for something more ideal. I do think that there's a sense within the league that evolution is required and people are willing to do it, but it's just such new terrain that no one knows how to do it because there is this, this, this new group of athletes now entering the pool that has had <laughs> the spoils given to them before they've gotten into the NFL. And, and, it, and it's obviously been um, a new world here for the last few years. And, and, and people are trying to figure out how does this change the way we connect with these prospects? How does this change the way we communicate with them? What do we have to explain to them as they're explaining to us? You know, we talked on Friday uh, a little bit about, this being sort of a back and forth interview where, you know, the bears are going to have to interview Caleb Williams, but Caleb Williams has the the um, option of interviewing the bears as well. And then trying to determine what he wants to do with the information he gets back from them. It's, it's, it's loaded, you know, and, it, and it's very complex and it's only getting more complex. And I think there are a lot of people in the league that are trying to figure out, okay, how do we proactively get in front of this and do so in a way that for our organization is it puts us in a, in a healthy place. And that's always a, a difficult thing to get to. All right, now let's talk about the game that's going to happen on Sunday, the the Super Bowl. Um, yeah, Niners, Chiefs. What's impressed you about each? The Chiefs. I mean, it's. Did we lose Dan again? I think they, we they just feel oh, comfortable. You know, um, right here. You got me. Yep. Yeah, we lost yep. you for just like a second. A second. Okay. Just... Yeah, no, I said that with the Chiefs, it's just it's just the comfort level that they have in being there and being on the stage. It's, it just, you, you, they didn't have a great season and then they got into the postseason and they realized it didn't matter. Engine for them over the last month to, to get themselves rolling and, and, the belief factor that comes with having 15 under center is always going to be there. And so they're, they're fueling that. And I think Steve Spagnuolo all year, we witnessed it in September with the bears going down there. He's just had the number of a lot of opposing offenses and probably hasn't got the credit that he deserves for, for being the stabilizing force for this team as they've gone through some bumps with the 49ers. They've just, they, 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 that offense is so complete and they've been able to find it. Uh, in the, the latter parts of, of close games here, obviously in the postseason. Um, I, I, have told you before that I hate picking against Patrick Mahomes, but I think I'm going to do it this week because I just feel like that 49ers offense has answers for a lot of different things. And they're going to be able to get the game on their terms, probably more so uh, than other teams have been able to against the, the chiefs to this point. And so uh, I think that's where my lean is right now on Monday. Wow. I, I just, every time I look at it, I've just, I'm drawn to the fact that this is 
could be a tremendous football game other than the everything else that goes on with the Super Bowl that we might really have, even just from an, a, a nerd perspective, an X and O matchup perspective, something really that is worth all of this hype. It, and, it, you know, it's, yeah, it's like one that, like, you kind of want to watch and then you're, like, kind of eager to go back into some of the rewatch. And then when you when we get the, you know, one of the, the coolest weeks of the year is when you get all the week after the Super Bowl reporting on what happened in the game because there's, a you know, nobody's looking ahead anymore. And so there's the ability to just truly, truly dial in on the game that was just played. And there's so many things between NFL films and um, great reporters who cover the game. Uh, at, at an in-depth level that I always look forward to the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday after the Super Bowl because so much content comes out that uh, to the nerd factor that you talked about, it just explains things at a level where you're like, man, like this is truly next level stuff. Oh, and, like and, when and the- Next Gen and PFF, I when they come out with, especially when the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers beat this Chiefs team and we saw, what is it, that Mahomes ran for like 500... <laughs> 499 yeah, yards. 500 yards in scrambling. Action, and then showed where his passes were going and what the chances were of certain passes being caught and what was over and under expectation and all that. You're like, holy crap, this is one of those heroic performances in a loss we've ever seen <laughs> yeah and then you blend that with like reporting like peter king does and getting little nuggets and insight and color um from parts of the game that you weren't uh, otherwise been privy to and then nfl films will put out its day i mean it's just it, it, it's a, a limitless amount of content it would be awesome if one year it was the team that we cover that's playing in that game because <laughs> oh, it would be a stop. lot of fun oh, <laughs> it would be a lot of fun to be a lot of be fun to be a part of that uh but but maybe soon, maybe soon, maybe one day we'll get on that trajectory and we'll at least be uh, playing into late January as opposed. Let's hope that Dan is right about that. We thank Dan for his time. Uh, as per usual, great to talk to, with uh, him. Just engage. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, this is the cutting in and out, but we're good. Yeah, we, thanks, Dan. We appreciate him jumping on and talking about all things Bears and all things NFL as we get ready for Super Bowl 58. You want to talk about the Bulls, Dan? Uh, we should probably talk about the Bulls. Yeah, there there are four it's over. There are f- there are four tent poles. Okay, to an NBA franchise's health, and I think if we grade the Bulls on all four, it's a very dire picture. And it was this way before Zach Levine's injury, mm-hmm. and it's this way now. But heading into the deadline, they've got a responsibility. As I present you with each one, you tell me how they can make it better. Let's do that next here on The Score. The Bernstein and Holmes Show. Dan Bernstein, Lawrence Holmes, powerhouse pairing, 10 to 2 every day. On 670 The Score. Mark, first, if we could just get your thoughts just kind of on, on Zach and, you know, him being out for the rest of the season, what that what that does to you guys and kind of your thoughts for him personally. Um, first and foremost, just, you know, worry about his health. I'm getting back um, 100%, getting himself together uh, more so than anything. You know, situations like that, you know, I always try to look, you know, past just basketball, you know, um, it's a lot. A lot we go through as athletes, and you know when you go through a situation like that, you know, um, pretty sure it's, it's frustrating. It's tough on them. Um, it's a whole different type of mental hurdle. 
Okay, that's DeMar DeRozan talking about Zach Levine. Who's... It, it sure felt like as things were starting to get a little bit louder about maybe him going to Detroit that all of a sudden, oh, you know what? I'll just go in and get this taken care of. He wasn't going to Detroit. I'm not sure that's the case, as it's more likely coincidental that some doctors told him that this isn't getting any better, that we've got to go in there and figure out what's wrong. And and see I don't want to go to Detroit. To stabilize it. And now it's the Bulls are in the same situation they were in before this happened. That's the truth of it. It sounds like this is some big deal, and maybe this will be seen as a marking point. If anything, maybe it'll be seen as an impetus to send the message to AK and Mark Eversley that we're, this is long overdue to be blown up. Long overdue. They needed a new build before this. They need a new build after this. I'm going to ask you four things, four ways to take the the health assessment of your NBA team. All right. Overall, I look at four things. Let's do it. One, are you good? No. Like right now, are you are you a good you're, team? You're an average to below average team. The, the very definition of mediocrity. Yeah. You could win any game, you could lose any game. Right? No one even even thinks that you can win a playoff series. Correct. Because you can't. Number two, where are you relative to the salary cap? Are you in an advantageous position cap wise? No. Okay. So you're not going anywhere and you're capped. But you could be if you made some Well, I'm not done yet. Third, so now you're you're capped, and you're not good. Are you young or are you old? You're old. You are. There is a bright, there is a bright younger player, and Zach's not old, but he's old because of injury, and he's not. He's pushing thirty now. Yeah, he's he's not old, but he's, but Vooch and. Vooch's game is old, and DeMar is old. Well, Vooch is old. So you're on the wrong side of, of the aging curve. You're on the wrong side of the cap curve. You're not good. So I ask you this. Have you stockpiled draft picks? No. You actually gave draft picks away for Vooch. And for Lonzo Ball. Uh-huh. So, no, you don't have any real prospects there either. You're capped. Pun intended. You don't have picks. You're old, and you're not good. This is going great. So, it's the worst situation that an NBA franchise can be in. And it's a matter of when you want to rip the Band-Aid off. And it's also like there's a lot of lament, and you're going to hear it from the Bulls over the next you know, few weeks. There's a lot. It's going to sound very familiar. And this time, it's going to be people talking about Zach instead of Lonzo. Well, you know, we've had all these injuries, and then there was the injury to Zach. Right. So well, the Lonzo thing just allowed them to excuse all of the deficiencies. And that's what I think is going to happen with Zach. Like, this is the thing. Arturis and Mark, they have to really look at this and say, are we going to allow, similar to when we talk about offensive and defensive coordinators, are we going to allow what we drew up on the whiteboard? 
as our objective and how we were getting to the objective to color moving away from what is clearly a failure. Now, it doesn't mean that their whole tenure as the Bulls bosses has to be a failure, but they keep compounding mistakes. You have this Lonzo Ball injury and you never quite got a point guard to play here. And you kind of, you didn't want to say it out loud because you knew how crazy it was to say it out loud, but you kind of always whispered and kind of kept in the back of people's minds, well, you know, if we just had Lonzo and just kind of, well, we're hoping everything works out with him and all this other stuff. But it isn't just that. That also presumes that you had that DeMar DeRozan who's playing way over his head, that you had a younger Nikola Vucevic. Now that, that only goes so far. You had a great half a season. You had a fantastic, exciting, dynamic half a season. But that's what I mean, Dan, about them compounding mistakes. They've been chasing that. And I don't think you're going to win anything. That, that team won't win anything either. And remember what happened, how the year ended last year when we were talking about the trade deadline. And what, what did Arturis say? He said we, we're going to stand pat and we're going to use these 20-some games. 20, we're going to use these 28, 28 games. games to make our decision. And they didn't. And, and they didn't. And here you are. Or they did. Giving max money to, to a guy that's like, eh. but now here you are again. He's no longer part of the equation for this season. And if you are projecting out again, if you are going to roll the dice on, well, we'll extend DeMar. We'll keep Alex Caruso. And we'll wait for Zach to get healthy. And then we'll have a real indication of what we look like as a franchise. We've got the indication. I, I think I think the answer with what's happening and the fact that you might actually be able to get something, you have to you have to really pivot. And I know that it's a hard thing to do, and this wasn't necessarily their plan. Zach being hurt and gone for the rest of the season and tanking his trade value means that you have to change your plan. But the truth is there wasn't much value anyway. I agree. You were, were going to take back some bad deals, and there wasn't going to be a, a, a prospect or a, a first-round pick of any value attached to that unprotected. You're not, you weren't going to get anything Yes, for but him. maybe this allows you to let go of how tightly you've been holding on to Alex Caruso. Maybe this changes your opinion on whether or not you should extend DeMar instead of trading him for an, as an, an expiring contract. Here's an idea. Here's an idea. You can trade DeMar, and if you want to re-sign him in the offseason, sign him. You could do that. If he wants to come back and, and have his slow retirement here over the next couple of years, and you want to facilitate that, you could do that if you wanted. I mean, I wouldn't want to do that. I'd let him go chase a ring somewhere and cut his minutes. I think that you should let him and Alex Caruso chase rings and Andre Drummond. And whatever it is that you're getting back, it's more than what you already have. And unfortunately, while they are taking pennies on the dollar for these players, that's where you're at, and that's kind of where it has to start over. Shams Charania talked a little bit about this. Was this on, on Stadium Network that he did this? Or was FanDuel this with, TV. Yeah, FanDuel TV. This was Shams talking about the situation that the Bulls find themselves in. 
the biggest player of interest that, that the Bulls will have is Alex Caruso because the fact that he's on a multiple-year deal, team-friendly contract in a lot of ways, that he's going to garner a lot of interest from contenders. But DeMar DeRozan is the player. They, they have him on an expiring deal this year. They've talked about an extension, have not been able to get a deal done. Will there be a contender before Thursday that tries to go get DeMar DeRozan? I, I think the Bulls are going to be open for those calls. We'll see if a deal happens. But DeMar DeRozan and his future... Uh, either he's going to get traded at this deadline or they're going to look into the summer and you either talk about a new contract or DeMar DeRozan could walk for nothing. Those are all Oof. the scenarios at play for the Bulls. Here's the thing about the Bulls in the front office. I think that one of their failures has been waiting too long. That they kind of, well, let's wait and see. Let's, let's wait and see. Let's see. If, let's give Zach this money. And and let's see how he and there's like mm. and now everybody's worthless. Yep. Don't do this with Caruso because he is any moment he's on the floor, he is a broken finger waiting to happen. I and meanwhile in the last game, I know he's very proud of his defense, but you don't have to be like I'm Mister Defense Guy. Time to activate defense power, and then you're just chasing around and, like, grabbing people's faces and stuff. I just want to say, hey, man, hey, hey, AC, you, we love you, and you're good. Just deep breath here. <laughs> just keep staying in front of your guy. But he was just like, and it's like I mean, a foul, a foul, a foul. Like, okay, that's man. That's kind of what he does. I, and, and I know, but every once in a while, you don't have to, like, rip people's noses off. I, I really I love him as a player. I love DeMar as a player. Everyone loves DeMar. You you cannot run this back, and if you, you've got an opportunity and it is not what you would envision, it is not it is not the 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 level of return that you are hoping that it would be. But you can't keep doing this. You can't keep chasing the whiteboard and the dream that you had of well, Lonzo was going to make all of this stuff work, and he's the guy that's going to activate. It it was a really good idea. It could have worked. It didn't work. It worked for half a season. And now it's never going to work. So you need to you need to you need to draw up the next dream. You need to draw up the next thing that you want to do and you want to try and create. And you've got you've got got to take this and say we've got to find a way to get some capital. And the, I, I thought they were doing it. When they traded away Lowry Markin and when they traded away Wendell Carter, there seemed to be a vision here. There seemed to be this idea yeah. of this is the kind of team we want and these people that we want, and then it just kind of stopped. It, it stopped partially because of the injury to Lonzo Ball. It stopped because you probably overrated Zach Levine. And you know, Dan, I've been saying this for a long time. He's a player that earned a max, and I would have not given him one. Casey Johnson just tweeted that Dalen Terry practiced fully. The Bulls held Kobe White and Alex Caruso out of practice, but both could play versus T-Wolves. The parenthetical injury for Kobe White is ankle. <laughs> the parenthetical injury for Alex Caruso, general mayhem. <laughs> That's my point. 
That's what I mean. At any at any time, that you, he guy could become untradeable. He's tradable right now. He's he's as tradable as he's ever going to be in his life. Right now. So why not take this as an op? Take if you want to. If you believe in signs, I don't know if they do. Take this as a sign that you're going down the wrong path. You're going, going the wrong way. How do they know which way we're going? You can just try and start over because this ain't it. This is, this is not the way. Darnell Mayberry wrote a great piece. I think everyone, if you've got a subscription to The Athletic, you should read it. And it's, it's essentially saying that they, they missed their opportunity and it's been a disaster because of it. So what do you do? You, you have to you figure out a way to start over. And it, as much as I love DeMar and as much as I love Alex Caruso, I don't think that they're supposed to be a part of whatever happens next. And then you start to wonder, are the people in the front office concerned about what the messaging of a rebuild does to their relationship with ownership? That if... They were to, to, to go to Michael and say, look, this didn't work. We're going to move on. If that makes Michael look at them and go, these are not the guys that should be running this rebuild. I gave them all the time that they needed, and this didn't work. Or, or if you're Michael, you can close the door and sit in the room and say, guys, do whatever you need to do. But get us back on a – you tell me how you're going to turn this ship back onto some kind of championship path and explain it to me and how we're going to get there, where are the guy's going to come from. How yeah, are we, we going to get the guy? Because it doesn't seem like there's a real path for it other than, than wishing. Hoping that, hoping that not only will Zach be himself after another surgery – but he's going to buy into whatever it is that your concept is. You're old, you're capped, you're hurt, you're out of picks. Fix all of those things. Tell me which one. Fix one of those. Old, capped, hurt, out of picks is not a way of doing business. There's got to be a plan for fixing at least one of those things, let alone all of them, because mm-hmm. they all need to be fixed. When we come back, I want to tell you why I think Patrick Mahomes is the greatest quarterback of all time. That's next. Bernstein and Holmes, your midday destination for Chicago sports talk on 670 The Score. Pacheco in the backfield sets up to the left of Mahomes. Mahomes in the pocket, throws a deep one behind the defense. It is caught. Valdez Scantling with the grab. He got behind Millett for 33 yards. Hushing the crowd with 2.04 to play. And now we're going to hit the two-minute warning. Mahomes has done it again. Downfield delivery to Valdez Scantling. And he has shocked the fans here in Baltimore. This is my jam. You know that. The great Iron Eagle on Westwood 1. And Patrick Mahomes. Oh, poor dude. Dan, I've been accused of 
being very good at compartmentalizing things. And there are some people who believe that... Wait, accused of or, or complimented for that ability? No, accused. Because there is a thought that people who are adept at compartmentalizing things are people who have had a lot of traumatic experiences and it somehow makes them lesser because they're not living in the emotional truth of the moment. Oh, it's the opposite. That they are able to take that and put it over here to accomplish the goals of the day, and it's not always a truthful reaction. Do you know how hard I work with a therapist on how to compartmentalize? Yes, I I would agree with your therapist that you need to do a better job of that. that that that, That's the goal. The ability to put things in in different containers and move them around as but, you need. But I do understand there's a coldness to it. Like, there is. And I, I readily admit that about myself, that there's a coldness to it. Like, I've, I used to joke all the time that one of the things that I wanted from a producer is that if, you know, Herbie died during a segment, I want that other producer to be able to step over his body and, and get us the break. And then we'll handle it. But we have to get to break first. I get, I get it. That sort of thing. I think Patrick Mahomes is incredibly adept at compartmentalizing things. Because he's... The path of the righteous man is beset on all sides. Everywhere you look with Patrick Mahomes, he is having to either put out a fire or kind of act like nothing's happened. Last year with Travis Kelsey, he's saving Travis Kelsey from himself at the podium. Just like, okay, stupid, get out of here before you say something crazy. So his, he, his brother's an actual criminal. His brother is a criminal. And and is beyond that, he's bizarre. Like, even if we took that out of it, he's he's in a in a sport where people are all about no distractions. His brother is is capable of distraction, yet Patrick Mahomes is not distracted. Then there's the wife. Who's a handful. Yeah, I mean, she's she's clearly down for Patrick and has been for forever, so I'm not mad at her about that. Like, you you need a cheerleader. If, if you're going to accomplish anything, you need people that are going to be in your corner, and she's clearly in his corner. She's also a lot. Now you add in the Taylor Swift stuff. That that he's got going on inside the booth with his family. And then this weekend, Pat Mahomes Sr. gets picked up for a DWI, and it's his third one. So if you're Patrick Mahomes, the idea of outside noise. Just add it to the pile. It's... <laughs> it's really amazing when you think about it. But I also wonder how much Andy Reid perhaps can advise him considering that Andy Reid had one son die of a drug overdose and he had another who who is in jail or I believe in jail for the the DUI accident that injured a, a young girl while when leaving the facility mm-hmm. and I wonder if he's got advice about how to separate the personal life and any of that from your professional life. He's really good at it. Cause I'd be telling people, you know what? <laughs> Y'all can't come here no more. <laughs> like, stop. Would you people stop? 
stop. Like, straight up. Y'all can't come here no more. Y'all just, you just can't. I love you, but y'all can't come here no more. I'm trying to do some stuff. And y'all are making it worse. This would be the opposite of like the Aaron Rodgers situation where his family was like, yeah, we're, we're kind of we're, done with you. You enjoy the rest of your life. Yeah, remember when, when we wondered why they did that? Yeah. And now, and now mm-hmm. we're like, oh. Oh, now we get okay. it. Okay. Now, the, the truth is that it could be a full family of dysfunction. But Possible. yes. But yes. Yeah, I get it. Now, yeah. now we all seem to understand their point of view better. Because at, at, back in those days, when Aaron Rodgers spoke, stuff that he said made sense. Now, when he speaks, unless it's about football, where I still think that he makes a lot of sense from a football standpoint, he doesn't make sense. It's it's hard not to root for Patrick Mahomes when you look at it from the standpoint of he got a lot of stuff going on. A lot. And yet, every week, he just goes out there and he... And I wonder, like, and he's, and he's also got a, a very upbeat demeanor. You know, yes, he doesn't. He doesn't seem sullen. He's, and he's the most valuable bundler. I know they've celebrated that. He, the the quarterback show that documentary I thought was great for kind of learning about him, and and what makes him tick. But can't you imagine, like, he's he's doing whatever it is that he's doing, and he he sees his phone is going crazy. And he's like, what now? What fresh hell is this? Yeah. What what thing now? So, good luck to Patrick Mahomes in all things that he does. We'll talk some NBA next. Jamal Collier, who covers the league for ESPN, is going to join us on the other side of a brief timeout. Bernstein and Holmes on the score. The score! Well, he was here at shoot-around there, you know, and obviously this just came out, so I don't know what the plan is for him. You know, he's he's actually been, you know, like, after shoot-around, he's in the weight room, he's lifting, and he's doing things, you know, and has been doing things. And, you know, the other the other, the other day after practice, he was in there having his, his foot worked on. So, like, he's really, really tried and has been really, really diligent about trying to come in as much as he can to try to get, you know, it rectified, to try to get himself back to playing. So much for that. Billy Donovan now has to pick up the pieces as they head toward the deadline, limping in large part, literally and figuratively. The going nowhere Bulls might finally, finally be forced to actually make a decision on this, even though it's too late, as we all can agree. Jamal Collier covers the NBA for ESPN. He is on Twitter at Jamal Collier. He is on the Circa Sports Illinois hotline, twitch.tv slash Chicago 670 to score. Jamal, how are you? Doing good, guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being available for us, Jamal. I mean, I, I know that even, you know, I when we were talking a little bit about it on Friday, the, the, this bull story, you're around this team a lot. How big of a blow is it for Zach Levine to be injured and and need to have season-ending surgery, you know it's 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 huge, right? Like on one hand, you look at the on-court performance, and it, it doesn't feel like it's going to be sort of significant to where their season was headed in the short term, and like 
as far as his performance on the court, they play well without him. But when you sort of remove him from the equation and, you know, they're already were having to get more difficult enough time drumming up a market for him, you know, trade market for him uh, this season. And since they kind of both sides sort of let it be known in the open there that, that a trade, you know, had kind of felt imminent in November. And now you all of a sudden have him out for the season, uh, you know, have him not really is going to finish with a 25 game season as really one of his worst uh, in his career, it just really sort of puts as far as a value and like a, a buzz or as far as Zach's name is probably just at the, the nadar of his value really since probably he came to the Bulls and started to break out in a way. And I think that's just a bummer for the state of the franchise if they were going to try to find a way to dig themselves out of a hole. It definitely um, is a, a more difficult challenge now. What could they get for DeMar DeRozan right now as a rental piece to a contender? It's a really good question because you have to kind of look around and first of all say what team is, is in need or in, in, in a position where DeMar DeRozan feels like it would be you know, a, a piece for them to chase a championship. Um, and, you know, there's not a whole lot of those teams that sort of need the, a wing like DeMar who needs the ball, a scorer in that way. Um, and then the guys who do, you know, th- those are the teams that have sort of spent a lot of assets on other things as well. So, I mean, you know, it, it, it remains to be seen. I still think that, you know, DeMar is playing at a high enough level that if they were able to sort of drum up a, a bidding war for him um, to a place that he want to go, I think that, you know, you're talking about a first team that needs assets. They could he could generate something. Uh, I still think there there would be interest, but a first um, like you a, know. could they get a first? You know, it you you some of these protected first. Uh, potentially, you look at uh, a, a package of of seconds have also been moved to to get some players here. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I haven't. This is all speculation too. You know, I, I don't. I think that they have generated a market for him and i don't think there's been enough real push in that in that you know area to for them to really see what the market fetch right now but you know again he's an expiring contract and you have to go take him trade him to a place that he want to stay and want to resign i think that's the kind of the bigger hurdle there is like where would demar want to go because i think he would have some say in ultimately where this decision would be made jamal before you were the the nba bigfoot you used to cover this team on a daily basis how weird is it for you to to look up now like your life has changed in all of this time, but the fortunes of the Bulls, it still seems like kind of attached to, well, you know, Lonzo got hurt. And, and then, <laughs> yeah, like that We're still living those same press conferences that you were doing you know, three years ago. Yeah, I, I forget what it was that uh... – um, yeah, I think it was it was something with a, uh, a, a it was a conversation I was having with the podcast or, or something, and we were sort of talking about the last time I had been on that site, and we were like, oh yeah, the Bulls had just put their team together, and it was like, wow, their team is still <laughs> still currently the same as constructed. It's just a, a weird holding pattern to to talk about like wanting to get out of or want, wanting to be competitive or, you know, this team who, you know, that's the idea of, of not wanting to go into full rebuild mode is, is, is this idea of like still wanting to put a competitive team, but they're, they're in ninth place. And they've been in ninth and 10th place now for two years running, you know, not to mention the fact that they didn't play well. After, so you're just, you're just kind of in the same pattern here and like expecting it to get better without doing anything good or bad, right. That just is expecting your position to change. It's just kind of a, a a baffling position, I think, for them right now. And, and I think if nothing else, 
the Zach injury, you know, is a, is a, the latest alarm bell to kind of say take a step back and figure out where exactly this thing is going and start to steer it intentionally in a direction. Yeah, see, that's how I look at it as it's not – it doesn't materially change their fortunes yeah. because they needed a new build before he got hurt, and they certainly need a new build now. But there are Bulls fans who are clamoring for enough evidence to be placed at the feet of the people in charge that they act on it. And I think then I think that's exactly it. You know, Zach's trade value and, and the, the you know, the sort of – the uh, market for him not being there the last few months, um, you know, I think is is one thing. And you know, you look at almost the the past, you know, mistakes of the past things, holding on to Vooch. You can call them mistakes. You can just call them even decisions necessarily. But sort of like the Vucevic situation, and sort of holding on to him at the last deadline, resigning him, and looking at how that position looks, you know, a, a year later, and it's, it kind of gets you to a guy like. You know, with Caruso, and I understand sort of the want to hold on to a guy like that, but I think when you look around at the sort of the last couple of contracts you've handed out and how well, how quickly, I should say, those have not aged well, that's kind of where I think, you know, the, it just, it just again, it seems like it's just an alarm bell to say, can they sort of get out in front of one of these decisions and not be left in a place where, all of a sudden you're being dealt a bad hand and you're talking about, well, it doesn't make a sense to make a move right now. Jamal, what happened in Milwaukee? Ooh, where do you want to start? <laughs> I, I, I want to try and figure out what, what did Griff do to get on the wrong side of, of the yeah. players that they were out there doing a conga line the first night that he wasn't the coach of the team. <laughs> You know, uh, th- those things uh, I, I, nobody has drawn a connection to, <laughs> I will say, in the, in the Bucks organization. Um, it, it, I think that it, it is it is surprising how quickly, uh, you know, it was evident probably within the first month or first couple of weeks of the season, you know, even aside from Terry Stotts, just, you know, almost how uh, the players sort of were challenging him and, and, and you know, in so many words, thought he was sort of not trying to get him to rise to that occasion. He was not meeting the demands that a championship team uh, and level sort of, you know, that, uh, that they asked for, I guess. Like, it, it was – I think that it came down to that, um, you know, in a way for a first-year head coach where you normally have this learning curve to figure things out, and there just really wasn't one. And, you know, absent all that, he didn't have really any support uh within that organization that was sort of screaming and protecting to hold hold on to him. And I think that sort of started with, you know, not that Giannis made the decision to run him off, but Giannis sort of openly talking about how we need to be coached better. We need to be coached harder. We need to be organized more. You know, the Bucks are a team that listens to their star. And, you know, you look at Drew Holiday, the Dame Dame Lillard trade, like when Giannis starts making noise, they make things happen. And when Giannis sort of is speaking up about the product on the floor is not good enough. They had to make a decision. Joel Embiid is getting further examination on a tear in his lateral meniscus. And there's one report that says it might be flipped, which is referred to as a, as a bucket handle tear. And as somebody who went through that, it is no fun at all. And I think it's really important, to the, as we hear from the doctors, to determine if they are going to resect the damaged tissue or if they're going to repair it because one is a much longer recovery than the other. How does this affect the way the Sixers are heading into the deadline? 
That's a really good question. I mean, you know, on one hand, if Embiid is is going to be compromised or, or you know, for the rest of the season, or at least, you know, even if he's able to play again, if there's something he's going to be dealing with or, or sort of not able to recover from this season, um, you know, I, I I would I would wonder how much that would you know force them to, it, it, you know, they can go two ways. Do you sit back and do you wait uh, until you have a healthy Embiid and push your chips in? over the summer, or do you sort of give him the most support possible that he doesn't have to do it all? Um, you know, I, I think, you know, until they know that full information, it, it's kind of hard to know exactly which way they go, but this has been a special season from Embiid, and I think if they can capitalize on this window, it's, you know, I think the biggest thing is, like, this should be sending alarm bells to say, you know, this guy's been awesome, but he's also playing at a size and with an injury history that that, that window is not going to be open forever. And I think, like, if they can know he's going to be back on the floor, yeah, you got to try to capitalize on the time where he's actually healthy. What do you think about what's going on in Los Angeles? And and do you think that there is a level of regret that's going on with LeBron right now on how things are? Yeah, you know, it feels like this just is such the yearly cycle. Yes. (laughs) Of it, right? Where he, he gets to this point in the season and he looks around and realizes that, this team is not going to be good enough and makes enough noise to, to, to make changes. Um, And it just like, feels like after we've seen this, you know, the third part of the trilogy, right? Like (laughs) we kind of are all like, wait, we know how it ends. And it, you know, is ultimately not, you know, short of the goal. So that, that I think, think about the level he's playing at and think about all the things he's able to do to not be able to one carry a team. It's got to be different you know, for him. And it's also just kind of a realization that like we have probably, and I'm saying that couching it as much as possible because I don't want this to look dumb in a couple of years, but you know, it feels like we've just probably seen the last time that LeBron, that that window sort of was, was, was closed uh, here in LA. Like the, the championship window, at least for him is, is, you know, sort of at least as the lead option is, is sort of just not going to be there. Um, you know, so they're going to, you know, do something again, they're, they'll sort of make some kind of shakeup, I would assume over the over the next you know week and, and the, over this month, but uh, it ultimately does not feel like there's not even a move that they could make that would really get them into that upper contention slot in the Western Conference. I want to go back to something you were saying about Giannis, and you know Dan and I have been having a conversation about player empowerment as it pertains yep. to Caleb Williams at USC. We've seen a, at least I would say a good decade of player empowerment where people are are pulling the strings sometimes behind the scenes, sometimes being in front of the microphone. Do you think that NBA players have done a real assessment of what it is that they actually want and how to work with the front office to to make it the best situation overall, not just I have to have this thing because I want this thing? Probably not as a whole. Um, you know, at least it doesn't feel like that that conversation has produced any real results. Um, just because it does still feel like guys are, you know, are sort of individually still acting based off of their wants, their current situation, right? And you can look at James Harden's situation, for example, as, as sort of the, the biggest example of that. Um, and I think that as everybody, like players and, and people, they're their situations, their demands, their wants change um, and change sometimes on a whim, 
sometimes in a way that we don't see coming and sometimes the way their teams don't see coming. And I think that is, is I think, been, you know, the most difficult part of it is, again, you have players and, and sometimes you know, people who are still relatively young sort of making big sways and, and changes, um, you know, just in, a, in sometimes unpredictable ways. Uh, I think that, you know, again, with the Giannis situation, Giannis likes to be, the, and I, and I do believe him at this, he's always adamant about, I don't want to be the one making the decision um, as far as player trade and, and, and demands and things like that. And I, and I do believe at his core, he is not, um, he doesn't take any joy or pride in that. But he is such obviously an important part to Milwaukee and in the in the, the team and then the future of the team, success of the team, that like, you know, one, they ask him for an opinion and he tries to give him an honest one. Uh, and I think that that with Milwaukee and Giannis kind of as the example, I do think that they're sort of working together uh, in those kind of situations. I think in general keeps the team competitive and keeps the, the team pushing in a way to be focused on a, a winning environment uh, as opposed to, you know, the Bucks could have very easily kept this thing to sort of point to the Bulls, to full circle to the Bulls example, it sort of kept this thing moving and going. And even if they thought the team had reached the ceiling last season with the coach, with the current roster, you know, there was no immediate, immediate pressure on them to change it other than Giannis. I mean, I get and, what you're saying about him, but, but here's the thing. If, as long as Thanasis is actually taking up an, <laughs> an, an active NBA no roster spot, he's and that that's not like you're letting him on the plane or you're giving yeah. him a sweatsuit. He's taking up not a, like a full time roster spot. He is by a mile the worst player in the NBA, and he is and and he's so something you can't be like. Well, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be that guy. Yeah, you do. Got, you know, Robin Lopez is also there. And Robin Lopez at the least. Other day. Come on, Thanasis <laughs> is Thanasis is 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 so by a mile the worst player in the league. It's not even close. I got nothing on that one. That was, that was, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm something. <laughs> Jamal, thanks so much for joining us, my man. We really appreciate it. Thanks a lot, guys. That's Jamal Collier of ESPN. I mean, come on. What are we doing? We got some White Sox Stadium uh, opinion that is coming out here, and it may not be exactly what you think from one of the smartest people in the city who writes about such things. And we actually had uh, Joe Sheehan doing a big write-up on the White Sox with not only these uh, small trades that they made, but some strong thoughts about what Jerry Reinsdorf should and should get with this kind of stadium ask. Let's talk about all of that stuff because there's a lot to discuss when it comes to the 78 and the White Sox. It's next here on The Score. Bernstein and Hope. Jason Goff is here in studio with us. We go from Zion Williamson, John Morant, (laughs) to spinning on finely tailored suits. Hey, getting yelled at for dancing. (laughs) On Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. The Bernstein and Home Show at its finest. Yeah, it's what we do, Jay. It's what we're doing over here. The thing that got me was, I thought, okay, great. I knew because a new stadium would have the, the, the skyline behind it, a new neighborhood around it all those things. Then I thought, well, guaranteed rate field, White Sox Park, surrounded by 70 acres of parking, you could keep that stadium and build, you know, a neighborhood there. 
It sounds like Lee Bay, the veteran architecture critic and professor from the Sun-Times, has given this a little bit more thought, fleshed out this idea. Yeah, he wrote more about it, and you can read it at suntimes.com if you pick up the bright one. He, he wrote, in part, sure, the 78 is potentially a more attractive site, but that was helped along by Reinsdorf and the Sox fumbling the one that they have, from the original design right down to making the field face southeast, Away from the downtown skyline, the team now covets so. The city and state officials should think long and hard before helping reward the team for such blunders, particularly when it would come at the expense of the South Side and the Armour Square neighborhood and nearby Bridgeport that has been the Sox home for 114 years, counting the time at Old Comiskey. Besides adjusted for in inflation, the current stadium's 1991 construction price plus the cost of the 2001-2007 renovation amounts to $485 million. That's a fair amount of money, although not in the billion-dollar stratosphere of the current generations of ballparks. Still, with that much cash invested in a neighborhood, it seems unseemly to let the team just walk away, no questions asked, especially if there's no plan for the stadium's future. In a statement sent to me, Last Thursday, Alderman Nicole Lee of the 11th said she is, quote, committed to keeping the Sox at guaranteed rate field, close quote. She also said her office is putting together a working group that is examining improving 35th Street, turning an eye to how we can make it attractive to the team and to the neighborhood as well, close quote. Bay concludes that's a wise move whether the team stays or goes. And then he he writes about what it could be. And it's really good piece. I don't want to read all of it, but I think that he makes some really good points about what the White Sox are asking for and whether or not they should just that their needs should be heated just because they say so. That there are other things to consider and that the city should consider one of the other things. I just want to make a note of this because it's in the piece that the White Sox uh, have talked with the mayor's office about this, and they've kind of done the same thing with the Bears of oh, well, you know, we're monitoring it and we're we have an ongoing relationship, that sort of thing. So, just wanted to point that out and let you hear what Lee Bay had to say about it. Well. Joe Sheehan did a full write-up of where the White Sox are, and he was talking about the acquisitions of Dominic Fletcher and Prelander Baroa and what that means. It's hard to really look at, at these deals in any context now because we don't really have it. And a lot of it was part of the valuation of Dylan Cease and what that's going to mean. And then it got into the bigger picture stuff here, which I found more interesting than this year's White Sox team, which is described as one of uh, two 95-loss teams this year and next year, at least according to Sheehan. He says, that brings us to the shadow over all of this. Owner Jerry Reinsdorf. Reinsdorf has spent his 40-odd years in baseball as a labor hawk, a skinflint, a man out of time. In the middle of those 40 years, though, his White Sox fell into a championship. The three postseason series taken by the 2005 team, the team of Guillen and Canerco, Burley and Jenks, are the only postseason series the White Sox have won 
since Reinsdorf bought the team in 1981. We can take this out further, actually. Since winning the World Series in 1917, the White Sox have won a playoff series in just one of the 106 years since. If Doug Eddings doesn't have a minor stroke in 2005 ALCS Game 2, the White Sox fall behind 2-0 to the Angels in that series, and maybe we never get those three straight complete games to end the ALCS, or the most entertaining sweep in World Series history. That eight-game winning streak triggered by Eddings' error reset the clock for Reinsdorf and his Sox. With time and perspective, it looks like one of the all-time fluke championships. I disagree with him severely with that interpretation of how things went in 2005. Reinsdorf has been content to sit back and treat the White Sox as an annuity. Since moving into New Comiskey in 91, they've generally bottomed out at 1.5 million tickets sold, and only in recent years did they lose money, per Forbes' accounting. The local TV deal is one of the best in baseball. Reinsdorf bought the team for $20 million in 1981, and it's now estimated to be worth $2 billion. That's not going to actually mean a raw gain of $1.98 billion if he sells, but the profits will pay for a few good pies at Pequod's. That's Sheehan's editorialization there. In four decades, Why didn't you pick a Southside place there, Sheehan? <laughs> What's wrong with Rick and Benny's? In four decades, Reinsdorf has rarely invested in the team. They did run some top five payrolls in the wake of the title. But over the last decade, the White Sox have had more bottom 10 payrolls, four, than top 10, one. Cots has them 23rd for 2024. More than 10% of that money is going to Andrew Benatendi. On what, is, on what is both A, an overpay, oh and B, the biggest free agent deal in franchise history. Reinsdorf's unwillingness to act like the steward of a $2 billion asset that received a large public subsidy and instead run his team like the middle-class pirates is the biggest reason the Sox are in this mess. What makes this all the more interesting now is that Reinsdorf's going back to the well last tapped in 1989, looking to get the city to help him build a new ballpark a few miles north of the current one the site on which the Sox have played for more than 100 years, as he's undercut the Sox by not letting his baseball people support their own player development efforts. The team's decline is directly related to a lack of depth, depth that could have been purchased for money. Reinsdorf has his hand out looking for a new mall park, this time with plenty of space, 62 acres, for all of the nothing-to-do-with-baseball development that pushed the Braves out of Atlanta to Cobb County, the A's to Las Vegas out of spite. Jerry Reinsdorf, 87, may be legacy shopping, and in doing so, concluded that real estate is more reliable than right fielders. The White Sox are no longer a baseball team to him, but a stalking horse for perhaps a billion dollars or more in public and private financing. He's more likely to get a new stadium than a new pennant. So his time and money will go into buying politicians, not pitchers. Until the White Sox have a new owner, they're likely to be an afterthought no matter how many good trades Chris Getz makes. The politicians are probably cheaper than fielding a, yeah. a, a team of winners. I agree with Joe on his point there. I That's what I think is really interesting about it is that I think that almost every, even like White, San, White Sox fan is like, oh yeah, that would be kind of cool. Like if the White Sox had a new place and it had that view, but there's the other stuff. Like, I'm I'm in that group. I'm in that group of people that says, man, that would be a really cool thing to have. But there's no free lunch. But I, but I can't let go of 
How did we get here? Why are we in a rush right now to do it? There's nothing wrong with the place that you play in. It's actually one of the things to me that is endearing about the White Sox is where they play in the stadium that they have. It, and then when you add in the idea of none of us should be bending over backwards to give Jerry Reinsdorf a sweetheart deal. And if you want to look at it from the cynical standpoint of what is he given White Sox fans over the last 20 years? If that's the way that you want to frame it, I'm okay with that because I, I think that that's fair for a, a fan citizen of, of the White Sox to be like, eh, maybe we, we don't just run out and allow him to do whatever. That we don't allow him to just dictate what, what will then be him allowing him to change at least two neighborhoods. At least two, and I would venture to say three, um, but I I get where Sheehan is coming from, and I largely agree with the 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 concrete evidence of a lack of investment by Reinsdorf in a team, and something that he's far better at is real estate, and. Chicago just saying we're going to let him do what he wants because it's something that sounds better because the team is so bereft of hope. Mm-hmm. Say, oh, really? You don't you don't like what's going on? How about if you give me money and I build a stadium that's mostly my benefit? It very much feels like look over here, look over here at this shiny new toy that 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 I am going to gift to you as my as my last altruistic feeling. Of, of of love for the city of Chicago yeah, and the that, South but, Side. Which is exactly the point that she was making is if you loved us that much, you Get could team. you could have bought us a, a much better opportunity to win even in the window here when the top line players go down and you've got below replacement level people trying to step in for them because that's all you, you would pay. Yeah. I, I will also say this is the point that Sheehan didn't make that or, or dot that he didn't connect that I might feel more comfortable connecting. To me, this does smack of what happened in Atlanta because there is a little bit of white flight to it to me that's a little uh, that's uncomfortable. And while it's only three miles, the, you, can, you can already tell like how people are even talking about this. That it's, oh, well, of course you would want to be closer to downtown. Like that would be great instead of the, the fairly safe neighborhood that it's been in for a long time. It, and, but there is some of that. It, it drifts into a lot of the conversation of it. Well, you know, if you go east of the Ryan, yeah, you go on the IIT's. Go east of the Ryan what? Going to this really nice campus. Is that where you're going? You're probably not going over there. You're going to the ballpark every day. So, yeah, there's a lot there for for me. Well, the truth is that that has been the... Un- and that's what the Braves did when they went to Cobb County. Sure. That was unadulterated white flight. And, and the, that has been the undertold story of the White Sox my whole life. And it goes back to why I'm a White Sox fan. It goes back to the, the my, my origin story as a White Sox fan had to do with 
having not having parents who were from Chicago, not having parents who came from major league cities, didn't have a rooting interest. And what Buffalo and Omaha? Omaha. Yeah. Omaha. Both triple A cities. So they didn't care. But as a kid, I see I fell in love with the White Sox because they were countercultural. They were at night. They were cool. And I said, Can we go to a White Sox game? No, no, no. We're not going down to the South Side. That's because it was it was crime. Well, it was considered dangerous. <laughs> yeah. No, seriously. We're up there in Deerfield. You and it wasn't until I didn't go to my first White Sox game until my uncle, who went to South Shore High School and grew up a White Sox fan, said, He's yeah, like, of course we're going to a White Sox game. Yeah, come to a game. Yeah, come to a game. So we went down and we watched George Orta and, and, and the crew. I'm like, this is awesome. And then not a hey, hey, goodbye and everything else. And I'm like, I, I got my team. Like, this is, this is the cool team here. But the reason I became a White Sox fan was because of that. I was, I was reacting to sort of the fear of something being dangerous when it really isn't. It isn't. It just isn't. You had made mention of it when we were talking with Parkinson Spiegel about it, about just that, like the the idea of the 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 counterculture aspect, and it seems like the White Sox are like, we want to run, we want to run to being more like the Cubs. That's what bothers me. It's like, well, I guess the Cubs win. I guess they were right. I guess we just gotta move up to the the be another gentrifying team. Mm-hmm. And that sucks. That I'm, that aspect sucks. What the, I what I will say, whether it's Lee Bay or Sheehan or Alderman Lee, I'm glad that there is. A, this is all that I wanted. Like this was part of the reason that it was important for me to talk about it on the air. And I don't think that I had the power. I have the power to make people think differently about this that ordinarily wouldn't. All I wanted was to see some critical thinking and pushback. Because what we were seeing from members of the city council was, oh, yeah, totally. Yep, we're totally doing that. Third war, here we go. Yeah, let's go. We're going to create this new neighborhood, and they're going to be the temple of the neighborhood. I'm glad that there are at least enough people now to go, wait, there's other things to consider here other than our experience as people who would go to this. What's best for the city? Yes. That, that's all. I've, my concern is what's best for the city. What's what's best for the city? And are we giving something to, to someone who hasn't given enough? And I know that people will look at the totality of Reinsdorf as an owner. And you say, well, Lawrence, it's seven championships total. And you're right. But specifically in ownership of the White Sox, is there anything in any White Sox fan that says that over the last 20 years, he's given enough? He's given enough where we can go, you know what? He really deserves that new stadium. Knowing the, the type of shenanigans that went on for him to basically blackmail the state to keep the team here in the first place. The, the type of... It's, it's, it's exactly the type of politics that we all say that we abhor. And yet, you're going to let them do it again? Not only let, cheerlead it. Yes. Drive the train to allow for him to do it. I don't, I don't think that that's the right way to go about it. But that's just me. When we come back, some fun with Pedro Martinez on Family Feud. Where sometimes, sometimes honesty, I guess, can get you in trouble. Yep.
next. You're listening to Bernstein and Holmes. I'm still stuck, Dan, in trying to figure out what? exactly what it is we do here. <laughs> right? Well, no, that part, I've figured it out. There's fart jokes and mascots. That's all is going on here. Bernstein and Holmes. Fart jokes what? and mascots. Middays 10 to 2. On 670 The School. Getting a lot of talk this week about the big game. And when we do cover it here on The Score, it is presented by Solo Stove. Feel the heat of the world's most popular smokeless fire pit. Solostove.com. Those things are awesome. I was walking down 53rd Street, just getting in a, a good walk after dinner a few nights ago. And one of my neighbors had one. I was like, you know what? I've got some patio room. Perhaps on nights like this where it's in the 30s and 40s and you don't mind sitting outside, that this whole stove would be the move. Just kind of hang? Yeah. Because I have like I have a nice little, it's a little, it's a little teeny tiny postage stamp out front, but it's all concrete. So that could work. Don't they do a pizza oven too? They, I believe they do. That I don't have room for. Why That's not? a your estate. I, like, although, I've got room outside? Although, technically, I guess I could do it. But that would cover up Russ's really nice windows, and I don't want to do that. Yeah. Our, meanwhile, I was getting uh, sent photos last night. Our guy, Jeff, from One Step, he's got a pizza oven now. Man, he was making me hungry. Yeah. He was put, making homemade everything, his own, like, grinding the cheese himself and, and like, homemade sausages. And I, how about this one? How about this one? I'm like, man. The the guy Send where me pizza porn when I passed the solo stove guy, it was remembers that week that day last week where it was like fifty degrees and then the fog rolled in and it was like thirty five degrees, and and I was like typical Chicago because Chicago gone to Chicago, people were out grilling and I was like of course of course <laughs> yep. like it was just nice enough where you like you know what steaks on the grill you, sh- you should have seen Montrose Beach yesterday Lawrence it was like it was it was May. <laughs> Everybody was out. Everybody, you know that the little that little stair step area around yeah. the back, yeah, yeah, filled with people. Guys were out fishing. People were biking. There was a birthday party out there with balloons. I'm telling you, it was like the, it was like an absolute spring day yesterday. And I got in trouble with the owl people. Yeah, you and the owl people need to fight it out. Look, we don't have time to do the Pedro Martinez. We can do it tomorrow. Why? Because I do look, it. they're right there. So. Let's it's get them in show. here, and they'll they'll start their show up, and we can start our afternoon. Parkinson Spiegel are next on The Score. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5g home for details t-mobile prioritizes certain t-mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion celebrate and save at ashley's anniversary sale with hot buys your choice of color starting at just 3.99 ashley sleep mattresses starting at 250 plus receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases and shop top mattress brands like stearns and foster temper pedic purple and beauty rest black with 60 month special financing only at ashley subject to credit approval no Minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.
We all agree that reducing carbon emissions is a good thing. And once again, Toyota is leading the way. We hear a lot about fully electric vehicles, and Toyota has them with more on the way. But we also know a BEV is not for everyone, whether it's because of cost, range, or concern about finding a charging station when you need it. Plus, the raw materials used to manufacture batteries are limited. Enter Beyond Zero, Toyota's vision for a carbon-neutral future. In vehicles and in manufacturing plants, too, in the years ahead. The materials used to make just one long-range battery for an EV could be used to make batteries for six plug-in hybrids or 90 gas-electric hybrids. That's why Toyota's position today is electrified diversified, empowering you to choose how to reduce your own carbon footprint with the vehicle that's right for you. A hybrid, plug-in hybrid, or battery EV. So shop, learn more, and get details at toyota.com slash beyond zero. Toyota, let's go places.